Recorded live. Salam, for one on the record, this is Brother Cedric Ben Israel, tribe of Judah. And welcome to Thursday Night's Fellowship Line. The time now is 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6, uh, 6 o'clock p.m. Central. Uh, is Chief Administrator online? Yes, sir, I'm here. Salam, brother. I'll, I'll yield to you. How you? Um, for those who are on the line, um, the hosting account has had an attack, and it's a malware virus attack. So I have to clean out the whole account, which I have been doing, and. In the meantime, the sites are down. I've been working on this for a day and a half straight, but on and off for the last uh, seven to ten days because it's possible that they, whoever attacked, it's, it's possible that they left a hole for them to weasel back in and what it is is they'll go into the account and drop a file and the file itself is a virus and it causes problems so i am not going to be able to stay on the line today i'm going to have to exit and get back to working on this and um Please be reminded that this is week eight. We're going on break. And um, please get your social media presence established for those who haven't. And um, I will turn it back over to you, brother. Shedrick, I got to get back to work on these sites. Shalom, brother priest. Shalom, brother priest. Yes. Brother, before you go, um, one more one thing I would like to ask, will there be any um, radio meeting next month for those who meet up on Mondays? First Monday of the month, yes, sir. Okay. All right. Ta-da. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Okay. So, um, while we're here, uh, is there anyone who has any topics that they uh, want to put on the table? It could be about anything. It doesn't have to be about anything in particular. Okay. Um, is anybody finding anything new about the uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, situation? where he's supposed to be um, sitting down and, uh, well, anybody, well, he was supposed to be um, filing a petition of uh, grievance. But if I, can, uh, I think I've read lately he's supposed to be sitting down and talking with the owners. I don't know how that's going to work out. In all actuality, I don't know if I could set, if I was him, I don't even know if I could settle because there's been so much damage done on their part to him 
you know, that is pretty much beyond reconciliation. He's pretty much been humiliated. He's pretty much been uh, kind of like sabotaged uh, and even been, I guess you could say, slandered um, by several people in the uh, uh, in the NFL uh, and even the president. You know, so for him to sit down and have a meeting with them, I mean, I'm I'm willing to hear how it would go, but I don't think he should settle because it's been too much damage, you know. And I feel like he should he should get what is due to him, you know. But that's just me. Um, but like I said, that's what I heard uh, as of like the other day. So I don't know how it's going to work, but you know. Anybody have any uh, new information about? It, I think that'd be cool. Shalom, brother. Okay. Um, that was what you mentioned. That was pretty much what I heard about as well. So I haven't heard any any uh, other updates pertaining to his uh, his situation. But um, like you mentioned, I think it's pretty much beyond, like, I think they just, you know, there's really nothing that they could really do to turn the situation around. I mean, the damage is already done. So I think at this point, if I was just him, I would just sort of kind of move on from the NFL because why would I want to play for any of these teams that basically kind of close their doors on me? It's just like, I'd be a fool to that to See, I think it's and and for me, I, it's obviously convenient for them, you know, now for them to. Well, it's not convenient for them, but I think you know, they are feeling like, oh, well, we can sit down and we can convince him that we just throw some money his way, and then we can just get him to stop protesting. But then it just throws the initial protest under the table with money as to say we will pay you to shut up about what we're doing to your people, you know, what the establishment is doing to your people because we don't want to hear about it. So the initial protest would get lost, you know, even though they made, they hijacked the protest and made it into something that it was not, because it was never about the flag and it was never about the the uh, the troops. It was about his stance on uh, how the country was handling the mistreatment of African American uh, of African Americans. But then they flipped the script and say, well, no, you just don't want to honor our flag and you don't want to honor the troops that fought for the flag in the country. And it's like, well, screw your flag and, you know, and everything else. I'm not going to take anything away from anybody who, you know, may have fought in the Army because, you know, that's what they wanted to do. And, you know, it takes a lot of guts to do it. But at the end of the day, if a flag is more important than your people, then there's some issues there. And he was pretty much letting these people know that, no, is your flag is not more important than my people. And by you telling me that, we we have problems. 
Because then the problem then isn't even about the flag. It means, obviously, that you have a problem with me and my people. That's basically what it comes down to. So if he settles, you know, he that's what he wants to do if he wants to settle. But I feel like, again, this is very important um, because I tend to think that you start, like, I'm going to be honest with you, this whole situation with Colin Kaepernick, it really brought out the people that you really did. It brought out the worst in some people. And it brought mm-hmm. out things in people that we never would imagine. Like, you could have the most high-profile, classiest person who you just would never even thought that they would just be so ill-spirited. But then when it comes to the flag, you really <laughs> – or when it came to somebody taking the knee to a flag, it's like, really? This is how you really feel about me? Yeah. All because I took a knee, and then when they see more and more and more people doing it, it was like, oh, well, then all the white people going to come together, and then all the black people going to come together. And it's like, well, then y'all missed the whole point. It wasn't even about him, you know, necessarily choosing a, uh, choosing a side. It was about him letting everybody know, I'm not going to let you just kill my people, and then I don't say anything about it. <laughs> you know, um, but this is just uh, this is just my stance on it. For me, I'm willing to really just see how far this is going to go. I don't watch sports, but I think that this is a pivotal point in uh, this is a pivotal point in history where you start to really see things for what they are, and you start to have our people pay a lot more attention to what actually is going on. Because I think that eventually when I, like if you see what Colin Kaepernick, what Colin Kaepernick is now, he is pretty much kind of like, you know, they stripped him of his uniform, but then he stripped himself of the image that he was before. And he just kind of just totally became a whole nother different person. I don't know if it's going to be for his benefit, for his benefit or his detriment. I don't, you know, I'm not God, so I don't know. But at the end of the day, he's not, you know, the Colin Kaepernick that played for whatever football team he played for. Mm-hmm. So it's, it says something, you know. It really opened his eyes to what's going on, and then it's starting to push other people into a position of, hey, you know, we really need to to wake up and start, you know, kind of figuring some things out on our own. But then now they're met with this whole, there's a lot of things coming out now where, oh, well, if you speak out against police, you know, uh, enforcement or law enforcement, now you may be a a homegrown terrorist. Or if you speak against the establishment, now you're black identity extremist. How does that work? You know, <laughs> but I mean, these the are things that I'm sorry. What'd you say, brother? No, not to cut you off, but the funny thing is, like, when this whole thing started happening with him, you know, they was even interviewing him in the locker room. He explicitly explained on several occasions that I'm not kneeling because I'm opposed to the flag. I'm. I'm kneeling because what I feel the flag does not represent what 
this country, the flag doesn't represent what uh, the ideals that the flag sort of represents because the people that is being killed are my people, and then that flag doesn't represent what we quote unquote described in the quote unquote constitution, so to speak. So he's not, he clearly said, like, I have friends who are in the military, so it's like, if that's the case, then, you know, so that just shows you, like, people view what they want to view and select to hear what they really want to hear and kind of blow that out of proportion, make it seem like uh, he's just kneeling because he's just opposed to the flag. But it's like, okay, we all have common sense. Like, like you can't convince me that the owners don't know that. Like, common sense, like, they know, like, okay, he's not kneeling because he's just against the flag and the troops of America and stuff like that. No, like, okay, we obviously know that there's injustice going on in the communities with cops killing our, you know, our brothers and sisters. So if he's kneeling because of that, then maybe we should either have a conversation, a dialogue to see, like, okay, what are some of the things we can do to sort of kind of, you know, calm some of the tension that's in the in the in the NFL among players or in the external community and so forth. But to really say like you're SOB because you're kneeling because of the flag and you're being disrespectful because of the troops that put their life on the line. Some of these two don't even know what they're fighting for anyway. So it's like what are you talking about? You know, so it's like, yeah, you know, I don't like they gotta really kind of do a little bit better than that. So I don't think they would. I don't think they would want to. And if they did, I know that it would be it would be tricky. It'll be a commercial strategy because I, I mean at this particular point, I mean we kind of know that most you know most of the people who are in business really have got it in their heads that we don't do anything unless it's a return on interest. They have mm-hmm. to have an interest in it. And if it's not to their liking, they're not going to touch it because it's not going to bring, it's not going to, there's, it's not going to be a return on interest. And return on interest don't have to be just money. It could be uh, what they want specifically out of the deal, what they really want out of the deal, you know. So I, I feel like, you know, like I, I started seeing, you know, when I started seeing, uh, was it Jerry Jones and all of them get out there and call themselves kneeling or uh, what's the guy the, from the Baltimore Ravens, the, the black guy, I can't even remember his name. He called himself, yeah, he was praying, my bad. That's what he said. He was praying. <laughs> um, my whole thing is I, I kind of feel like, they somehow wanted to make it seem like they were in solidarity, but it was, it's like, no, man, like you, you messing it up. Cause this <laughs> is not how we wanted. This is not how we wanted our system to be. Our system is run a certain way and either you want to get out or get out. And I feel like at some point in time, that's usually how it's got to be, you know, with certain things. You got you got to get out or get out. Um, and does is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it kind of depends on you know what position you in. Because if I'm calling Kaepernick and if I'm going through something like that, and he was just like, you know, hey, screw it, 
you know, you I, you don't want me to play because I took a knee, then, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I may have lost, you know, my jersey, but I'm not going to lose my integrity, you right. know. And right. I, I feel like, hey, you got to do what you got to do. And they're going to do what they got to do, you know. Um, but I'm just really anxious to see this outcome of how this is going to play. I personally hope he doesn't settle because I think he, you know, he suffered among what they're willing to settle for. You know, he didn't just suffer, you know, his NFL career, but he suffered his name too, his image, whatever they, whatever that may be, because you have a lot of people who are not in the NFL who, even politicians who literally hate him. I saw a woman, I think she was a Republican, and I think she was running for a Republican office, she has a restaurant in Texas, and she uses his uh, jersey as a doormat. She said, well, mm-hmm. because you feel a certain way about our our flag, then we're going to use your jersey as a doormat. And everybody has had, you know, enjoyment in walking on your jersey, which is pretty much a symbolic way of just saying we we we, we hate you as a person. Right. You know, so I'm I'm looking at the psychology of it all, and I just feel like now these people, they don't just hate Colin Kaepernick, the football player. They hate Colin Kaepernick as a person because he was right. willing to go beyond the, the gridiron and say, hey, no, it's not just the, the, uh, the NFL that's, a, you know, um, hurting my people by not, you know, by silencing our protests, it's the establishment, so to speak, you know. But, I mean, you know, I I think at some point, like, some people have to realize at some point that it is bigger than this whole situation is bigger than the NFL protest. And he knew that, but, and they knew it too, but, they tried to downplay it, and I think they're gonna definitely try to downplay it once they try to butter, you know, buy him with some money if they could. But I, I hope he don't, which I and, and I don't think he will. He won't compromise his integrity. He come too far, but yeah. none, you know, nonetheless, that that's just something I just thought that I would bring up only because you know that was something that. You know, it's been going on for quite some time. Um, and I just wanted to know if anybody had heard anything new about it. But um, does anybody else have any other topics that they want to bring forth? I kind of wanted to throw something out there. Anybody heard about this uh, supposed opioid uh, epidemic that uh, is supposedly sweeping? of the country, even though I know we kind of already knew about it, but now white America is crying opioid uh, epidemic. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, I heard it. (laughs) So, but I can't understand how now all of a sudden it's an issue. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't an issue when it was flying around our neighborhoods. But now it's an issue when, when you know, white America is affected. 
And uh-huh. man, that's crazy. Someone's gonna say something. No, I was just thinking out loud. My bad. No, you cool. Um, I remember when I was in uh, sociology class, and I just kept remembering um, uh, one of my teachers. Her name was Davida Harris, and she was talking about how they classify uh, society, which we already know about the caste system. But it's like how they how they stigmatize it. Like, say for instance, when you when you when a black person does something bad, he's considered to be a criminal. But then when when cognizoids do certain different things, they're considered to be mentally deprived or uh, mentally disturbed or something is just mentally uh, 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 unstable about them, which, I mean, you could basically say the same thing about people who are black when they when they commit criminal acts. I mean, cause, I mean, at some point you gotta think to yourself, crimes are usually based on some type of psycho some type of psychology. It's gotta be something mental going on with a person who would rape or kill or steal from somebody. So. I think it's just a choice of words and how we are, how they wanted to try to stigmatize those words. But we say black people are criminal, we make it sound bad, which it is. But then when you say mentally unstable, they make it sound like we should empathize, but that's equally as bad. Yes, that I'm saying like it's it's the it's the same thing. Y'all just try to like it's the same thing with black and white. With I mean, both meaning the same thing, but then when you put a picture on them, you give a different reference. Right. But what if you flip this? What if you flip the picture on the words, and now they take on a whole other different meaning? Because if I put a white man on the name black, now you think and. Not with that word black being defined as something dirty, ugly, uh, without light, this, that, and the other. I put a white face on it, but not white people can get upset because that's mm-hmm. not how they've been taught to see themselves. Yeah. White, black people face on a, on the name white, black people are going to be a little confused, but they may be a little bit uplifted because of what the word actually means. Pure, clean, with light, truthful, this, that, and the other. But then I'm not white. My skin color isn't white, and that's not what that that's not what that's talking about. But what I'm saying is, it's funny how like they how society can just take words and then propagandize them. It's just so interesting how they do it. Trump wants to try to you know declare opioid epidemic. But what about the the crack epidemic that happened in the 1980s and all of that different stuff when it was in our neighborhood? It wasn't an epidemic then. Right. So and it's, who's to say it's still and who's to say it's not still going on? You know. Well, that's the thing. Go ahead, brother. I apologize. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. Who's to say it's still not going on? It's just because there's no media attention. That's all. You know. But see, that's just how it. That's usually how it works, and I and I'm not sure why the system is set up that way, where 
they focus on what they want to focus on when they want to focus on it. Because I'm pretty sure Caucasus has been doing opiate, you know, been using opiates since opiates was a thing. Just like Caucasus has been using crack since crack was a thing. Blacks been using, you know, you know, those drugs when they were being coerced into using them. Because it's not like we know how to, you know, I'm pretty sure before then, black folks didn't know what crack was. Crack, what's that? How do you make it? Where does it come from? If it was brought in, that means nobody within the area knew how to make it. It had to be made outside. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, now that it stemmed over into y'all, into the suburbs and uh, the people who uh, who look like them, now it's an issue. And then now I'm thinking to myself, even with that, it's still an issue. It's about what they can capitalize off of. Because I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you knew for a long time that Caucasians have been using opiates. But why is it such a big deal now? <laughs> Wait, America's low on money now? So now you have to put your attention somewhere where it shouldn't be or don't need to be? How about you just try treating, how about you try curing the people instead of giving them more opiates? <laughs> Because that's all y'all do when y'all, you know, call yourself treating them anyway. You treat them with a drug. You give them a drug to to treat them off of a drug. I mean, this system is so jacked up. It's crazy. This is the system we live in. But I I, I saw the uh, article today, and I was just kind of like, you know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, they just get off on trying to make themselves care about something. Which, I mean, I'm not going to say that, the, you know, whether they care or not, if it's genuine or not. I'm just thinking myself, like, why now? Because once you don't need enough money off it, you ain't going to care whether these people get helped or not. And they still going to be using opioids. And y'all still, be, y'all still going to be going and getting the stuff to make it. So then what, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I that's just something that was just on my mind. Anybody got any other topics that they want to um share? Shalom, is it, yes, sir. Shalom, is is it like uh like every uh president have a tender agenda? Like uh, you got Reagan had the war on drugs, so it's let him know he care. Now, now uh. Obama did the uh, lesbians and gays let him know that he care, and uh, now now Bush, I mean, well now uh, Trump doing the opioid let him know that he care. All right, with that you. I I mean it, it don't sound too far fetched. I think like they all have to. I think like at some particular point, like they have to have a. a from what I from from what I remember studying about uh, presidential politics, every every one of them has a platform. That's usually what they come in trying to get bought in for. They have a platform, and then there is the agenda. 
that's when you get in. I'm pretty, you know, at this point we already kind of recognize it because I've seen it too many times over. The platform gets lost in the agenda because they they can't do necessarily what they, you know, set out to do without taking, you know, time and money out of the pockets of big, you know, big companies and corporations and things like that. Um, but that doesn't sound too far-fetched. You know, everybody has to have this thing that they do or that they care about. Because what happened, like, okay, with Obama, like, he was all for the whole LGBT community, and then, like, right after he got out of office, here comes Trump, Opioids is the new thing, and now I'm going to bash the LGBT community. Excuse me, brother. Um, did he? You said he bashed them. I well, there's been certain policies that have been put out, and there's been certain remarks that he may have made, or certain things that he's done that I guess you can say the LGBT community may felt like. It was a strike against them. I think one of the first strikes against them was when he, I guess you can say, repealed the bathroom law, the whole situation with the bathroom, where the transgenders couldn't use the, uh, where the transgenders, you know, uh, would get their own bathroom or they could use the female's bathroom or whatever you or whatever. He sent that bill back, but he didn't repeal it or something like that. So they were upset about that. And now they felt like he was outright against them ever since that day. And there were some other different things that may have been said by people in the administration. So now, you know, with, you know, Trump being just a phase, but then you have the administration, you know, the people who work there, they're all basically Trump because that's his company. He's a phase, but that body is him. So anybody that does or says anything, they're go, you know Trump is to be responsible for because he's the president. But it's like now that Trump is in and you know he's repealing laws or he's you know taking away certain different things, it's like you know now he's against them. Obama was for them. He was in there. He was doing certain different things. Bush was you know in there, and he was all for uh, whatever it is that he was all for. And then Reagan was in there. He was doing the war on drugs. So, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like they'll create, the, they'll create the problem and put a Superman cape on and then try to fix it. That's kind of sick, but, you know, that's just the way it seemed like they work, you know. Um, but... Yeah, man, at this particular point, they made, it seemed like they made a thing out of just doing these things over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm kind of like, y'all ain't tired of doing that? Like, when do y'all become tired of, okay, let's do the Ebola scare, or let's do the crack epidemic again, or let's do the the swine flu epidemic again, or... Let's go blow up. Uh, let's do another terrorist attack. Let's go do another false flag. Like it's like this thing must spin on it, uh, like some type of uh, axis. 
like they timing it or something. I don't know. Like it's it's funny how they work. And every president that comes in tends to do something. Uh, they have a focus now, but I don't know. Um, not as them. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Shalom. Uh, uh, this is Sister Anisha, tribe of Judah, born on the Shalom. Shalom, y'all. Um, something just hit my spirit, and I just wanted to share it when we were discussing what we were discussing. Yes, ma'am. It just seems like it's all about wealth retention and the bottom line. Mm. When I think about um, all of these different, you know, crises that are occurring, it's a cause and effect. They cause the crises, and then they always have the solution. But on either side of the equation, they're always making the money. The money. And in the meantime, they're thinning the herd out because just like those Georgia Stones were saying, they need to get the population to a certain amount, not because there's not ample amount or ample enough resources for all of the people on the planet, because the Most High provides for all of his children. And these children wouldn't be born if there was no way to basically support them because he is a really good father and he makes sure that there's more than enough. But then depending on the moral compass of humanity, certain stewards, come into power to steward the population. Unfortunately, the ones that are in power now, they have a more cold shoulder type of spirit. And they're more into hoarding for self because I don't know why. I'm thinking that they think that there's going to be some sort of lack somewhere or famine somewhere, and they just want to be on the side of caution and have more than enough for their progenitors. So for the top 1%, it's about wealth retention. They're looking at everybody else like little children and mouth, extra mouths to feed when they have their own direct you know, lineage to provide and protect for. And then on top of it, the majority of the world population are in a savage mind state. So, you know, they don't really care as long as they can keep, you know, the best and most fertile and fattest parts of the earth for themselves and their progenitors, and they can afford to pay enough bond servants or public servants to protect what's theirs and their children, you know, they're not really concerned about what happens to the, the, the general population of the world. I mean, they're cutting education, the Board of Education, they want to cut that. They're cutting, you know, um, welfare. They're cutting Medicaid and Medicare. Um, Lord have mercy. What are they not cutting that is 
is supposed to be beneficial for the general population. So at least when, you know, Ham or Mizraim was in power in Egypt and all praises due to the Most High, Joseph got appointed steward over the storehouse. The whole world ate. At least when we were appointed as the steward and we were in our rightful place, we made sure everybody was freaking taken care of, even the Caucasians that were in the mountains. We sought to civilize them and make sure we got them out of that bestial state of mind consciousness because we knew that if they remained there, that it hurt the planet on a whole. Because hmm. next thing you know, here comes the savages out the mountains wrecking havoc on the rest of uh, on people all over the place. You know, so at least we, unfortunately, we fell into that same type of savage mind state and began to abuse our power, and that's why we are where we are today. But it just seems like all they care about is wealth retention. And you know what? It might not be the best thing for everybody on the whole, but, you know, that's their thing. That's their thing. And I also find it ironic. Like somebody sent me a video of this Caucasian man that did this little social experiment, and he had all of these college students line up on campus to do a race. And he's like, you know, the winner of this race is going to get this $100 bill. And he said, but before we get started, he started asking questions. And he's, I'm going to post it. I'm going to post it on the A.D. Morton page. Like, I'm trying to gather material to start posting on that so, like, I get more followers and people paying attention to the Stop the Madness and what we're doing with that. Mm-hmm. But, like, the guy is like, you know, um, if you came up in a household where you had both of your parents, uh, um, um present, take one step forward, and then you see the crowd, you know, the white kids starting to step forward, and some of the black kids step forward, a few of the black kids staying staying behind. And he's like, okay, if you grew up where you had access to a free tutor, step forward. You see more of the white people come forward, more black people staying back, and Hispanic people staying back. And he said, well, if you, you know, never had to worry about your cell phone being cut off as a kid, step forward. More white kids step forward, more black Latino kids in the back. Well, if you um, never had to worry about um, paying your college tuition bill because, you know, your parents were able to put the bill for you so you never had to worry about how you were going to pay the college, pay college, step forward, stay step forward. If you didn't get, if you didn't get into college solely based on, you know, your athletic ability, getting a scholarship based on that, um, and you didn't get any, you know, financial aid or anything like that, step forward, more white kids, step forward. And he said, okay, I want you to look behind you. And he said, you know, just because, you know, um, they basically had to work harder to get, you know, they basically had to work harder to get to even to this point. 
and look where they are. They're still behind you. So recognize you're coming from a position of power, a position of privilege in this race. And I'm sure if some of those black kids and Hispanic kids that are behind you, no matter of fact, he just said black kids. He said, I bet if some of those black kids behind you had the same opportunities that you did, and this was an even race, I bet half of them would smoke your behind. So keep that in mind as you're going about that day, you know, about your day. And he's like, ready, set, go. And they all race. And, of course, some white kid won because they had such a far lead ahead of, you know, the other kids. Mm-hmm. And so he's just like, you know, he had them all join hands and pray in prayer together and saying we need to work together. But I find it really, really funny that as the system is about to self-destruct and they don't know where their next opportunity or privilege is going to come from, it's like we're all in this together and we got to work together. It's like, it's like they almost know it's about that time for switching positions. And they're looking at everybody in the race that they put in a privileged position before us because they put everybody before African Americans, the descendants of slaves that were on this continent. Mm-hmm. Even though we fought for civil rights and fought for a lot of benefits and privileges many minorities have access to and actually benefit from when they come here before us, we're still behind everybody, everybody from African to Jamaican to Puerto Rican to Mexican to everything. So it's almost like they know time is up. So I was just wondering what you guys think about that. It's all about wealth retention and the bottom line. And I hear this. That's um. Well, anybody want to speak before I do? Shalom, it's Brother Ek. I was just thinking while the sister was mentioning that, like it's like a ledger basically. When she mentioned wealth retention, it's like okay, who's on the side of who? Which side of the population is on the asset side, and who's on the liability side? And we want to preserve as much of our assets as possible and make sure we can get as rid of as much of our liabilities as possible as well. So that depiction about the race that's described about that experiment basically shows you the wealth retention that is going to come down to the generation of these kids, so to speak. So you see the liabilities, quote-unquote, of our people behind and the assets of these Caucasian kids increasing because of the resources that they have access to. So that wealth retention is definitely something that's very critical to like what we're sort of experiencing and seeing in our communities right now because, okay, for example, Donald Trump declares uh, opioid epidemic as a national emergency. Who does it affect mostly? Caucasian people. We want to make sure we retain our assets. They're the ones... Um, that, uh, uh, you know, the quote-unquote majority of this country, so to speak. We want to make sure we preserve them. But what about our people that's getting slaughtered by police? Or we don't care about them. That's not a national emergency. By the hands of policemen, that's not an emergency. That's not an epidemic. You see, so it's the wealth retention, like the sister described, like the assets versus liabilities. Which side of the ledger are we trying to make sure we have more more of? You know, so that's something to, you know, really consider, and I yield. 
Anybody anybody else want to uh, speak? Shalom, yes. Uh, going on. Uh, what I was saying, like they were saying, and just to piggyback off them, that's like the financially part or the finance and the commerce part of thinning out the herd, right? Right. I'm just asking a question. Okay. With that idea. You know what's so interesting? Like, at first I want to say this, RJ Nisha, you'll be finding some real interesting stuff, man. <laughs> I can't tell you enough. You will find a lot of interesting things. Um, I kind of, and it's kind of crazy when you come to this, uh, when you come to this, uh, I guess you can say this almost theoretical, hypothetical reality that it, it, it may be about wealth retention, let me say it this way. It is. Because wealth retention at some point is a part of self-reservation. Okay? Now, I'm, I think they kind of figured it. I think they kind of missed something, though, because it doesn't have to be where if you're going to be wealthy that other people have to suffer. Because Obviously, they're not they're not really problem solvers. They 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 people look to them as problem solvers, but they're not really problem solvers. Because if I'm in a situation where I feel like I have to kill you in order to be wealthy, or I have to take from you in order to be wealthy, or you have to suffer so that I can be wealthy, then you haven't really gotten to a point where you can say that oh. You you understand what life is all about. I do understand at some point people are going to suffer while people are going to be wealthy, but I don't have to make people suffer in order for me to be wealthy. And I, and I honestly believe at some particular point that wouldn't have happened how I would theorize it, just hypothetically speaking, when you look at somebody like uh, Christ and you look at uh, Moses and David and all of the prophets and all of the people who are in the scriptures who were, you know, carrying these things out, uh, at, you know, in their uh, respective generations at that time, they were all, you know, learning law and at some point not necessarily mastering it but understanding it so that they, you know, it was hoped that their children could master it, you know. And then while they were, you know, understanding and mastering it at that particular time in their respective generation, they acquired the wealth of the world or acquired the knowledge of the world, and they and they considered it to be wealth, you know. Um, and at some point – for them, they it was a, a survival of the fittest too. I think everybody has the right to self-preservation. Um, but what ends up happening is some people get comfortable with, oh, well, because I don't know how to fix the problem or don't want to fix the problem, then it's going to be either me or you. But here's the issue with, or here's what I think the Caucasians have set themselves up for divinely, because they kind of 
fit themselves into this divine situation that had been prophesied in the scriptures. See, they figured out early on how the world works, and they wanted to be in control of that, and they wanted to remain in control of that and not be able to share that wealth. But what they didn't or what they figured out early on is that in the end, their wealth is going to be transferred to somebody else because it was designed that way. It was contractual. Once they entered themselves into a contract that was originally ours from the beginning, eventually they had to go through the motions just like we went through the motions because we lived it. And now they, they're living it too, whether it be good or bad. They're living it. But now because they come so, they've gotten so accustomed to having wealth and not being able to want to share it, and claim to be problem solvers, but they don't know how to share a wealth. <laughs> and when they do, they call, and when you, you have somebody who is attempting to do it, they're considered to be communists. And when the people want to exclusively do it for their people, they're considered to be nationalists or separatists or racist. But that is just their way of having control over the situation. Because, again, for them, it is all about control. I think in life, many people feel like it is just all about control. Who gets to control the world? Who gets to say when the lights go on and when the lights go off and when people can be hungry and when people can be full? They feel like now because, you know, everybody's in a stupor, they're the problem solvers. So we can do that. But now that the time is drawing near where so many people are coming out of that stupor, especially the people who were the original heirs of that contract, now they're like, oh, we don't want to give that up. I posted something the other day uh, anonymously because I'm not going to say exactly, uh, even though some people may know me on Facebook, but they don't know where necessarily I really kind of posted it from, but I'm just going to say exactly what I posted. I posted a scene from a movie, one of my very, very, very favorite movies, uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, 1991. That is one of my favorite movies because that was one of the movies that kind of gave me a psychological understanding of uh, kind of what is going on. They use fear and they use horror to manipulate or uh, give you messages, but then, like, you don't see it because all you see is the aesthetics or you see just the visuals. You're not really reading into what it is that they're really trying to show you. And then there was a part in the movie that I actually posted on Facebook the other day where this young lady, she had done been, you know, trapped in the house. Mostly all the people were dead, and she got out she ran into a group of men who were zombie hunting and she fell asleep and she woke up and she woke up to all of these Caucasians. She's a Caucasian. And so she woke up to all these Caucasians and they were, uh, they had a news crew out there. They were talking about what the zombies are and what they were doing, this, that, and the other. Then she walks over into this area where they had four zombies uh, noosed to a tree. They were hanging by their necks from a uh, noose 
uh, that was on the tree. And the Caucasians were shooting the guns. They were shooting at these zombies while they were on the tree. And so she busts out and says, they're us. We're them and they're us. And so the guy says, what did you, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, what are you talking about? She's just like, nothing, just having some fun. And he was just like, yeah, right. So then he switched back, and you, all you see is these Caucasians just shooting, shooting, shooting the bullets inside of the zombies. And then he switched over to another scene where they had, the, they had some people on one side wrestling with the zombie. Like, they was making sport of the zombies. And then on the other side, they was burning them in this big old, they were taking the zombies that they shot, and they made a, uh, like a, a, a bonfire out of them. Like, they stacked them on top of each other and just threw them on fire, like uh, chopped logs. And then it became clear to me that the message behind that statement that that young lady made. And I stated that what these people figured out is that law is universal. It wasn't just that whatever those laws was, uh, the Israelites were the true law because it was the natural law actually written down. And even though it can be uh, it, it can be expanded upon, they realized that these people had basically written down the essence of nature, and they would you know try to use science as their god to to you know validate it. But they and you know no matter how hard they shook it. They couldn't get past the fact that the Israelites had had figured it out. And what they figured it out also in the law is, you know, that it's universal. Even the Israelites, Christ and Paul and Peter, that was their mission to eventually gather the Gentiles under the law as well. Some people say the Gentiles can't be saved. Well, that really depends on where their mind state is. Because they are, I believe that they can be saved. But it, that's just me. But nonetheless, aside from that, that's not the issue. The point I'm about to make is this. They figured something else out about death and what it does. They look at us and our condition, and they are literally afraid to be like us in our condition. Yeah, they'll do cultural appropriation, but they will want to spend one day in our shoes because they figured it out. They they figure they see what death did to us while we're alive, and they know it can be done to them. That's why I feel like what Octavianisha said: wealth retention. That that may be a part of it, but another thing is they're scared of losing that status. Because they know that once they become like us, when we switch roles, they're free that the same crap that happened to us is going to happen to them. Death it is already, going to consume them. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Uh, it already happened to them. It we did. had them in the same position. It already it happened did. to them. It has. And, and, and when you spoke about natural law, it's so mm-hmm. like we have to really be humble and say thank you to the Most High because the only reason why we are in the position or we are we were the law 
we're supposed to be the law and mm-hmm. we are supposed to be in the position of authority is because we were the first peoples of the planet Earth. True. We were blessed to be the first peoples he created that peopled and populated the entire Earth. So it would only make sense that you respect your elders and obey your mother and father so that your days on the earth shall be long. But what do you do when mothers and fathers become rebellious? Then the roles have to switch up. And right. what, we have are a, what we have are our children ruling over the parents. Right. From the metaphysical perspective, all the way to the actual physical perspective, as you look in many households today, the kids are out of their freaking mind, and the parents are just letting them run amok. And we also have to, we also have to, um, I don't want to lose this thought. Okay. We also have to take accountability. Yes, ma'am. Because we... We created all these other races through our sexual immorality. We did it. And we taught them all the nonsense that they're doing. And that's something that I I see we really don't do. And that's starting with our men. A lot of our men are pointing fingers everywhere else except at inside and self because there is a certain perspective and a certain thing that fathers are supposed to bring to the household and it's not present. There's a certain part of the brain that opens up and the spirit, the confidence that opens up in the child when daddy is really aware and present. And if he's not, he could be in the house and still not be present you're going to see that in the offspring. And so, oh, my God, it's just, we did this. We did it. Yeah. We did it, and we have no other choice but to correct it or this nonsense is still going to go on. They just passed different house resolutions to rescind certain restrictions on affecting the environment. Mm-hmm. The, the waters, the land, the air. And if we don't get it, then the Most High is going to get us all. Mm. True story. I wouldn't disagree with that. I I was going to say that you're right. It did happen to them. And then the roles reversed, like you said. But now they have to go back to it. But this time, it's a different generation. Even though it's, a, it's you're dealing with the seed, but it's a different, different, different generation. Just like it was a different generation when our ancestors, who just seemed to always go into slavery for some reason, um, which we all know what the reason was, but nonetheless, you know, they ended up going into – they've seen death so many different times. Like, they are what I like to call the original cats because they died so many times, and they came back to life. 
But I mean, died so many times and came back to life. They died spiritually and commercially. And then they came right. back to life through learning law, understanding, and doing it. So then it's almost kind of like now we're stuck in a situation where, and this is for those uh, who are in my class, this is why I tried to tell you, you know, when we did the assignment. You have to understand that not everybody was a king and not everybody was a queen and not everybody was a priest and not everybody was a bishop. <laughs> okay? So, like, like I think, like, if we get – this is why I think a lot of uh, African-Americans struggle uh, with really accepting the fact that uh, when some people tell them that you may be an Israelite, they can't, they can't shake off the whole Egyptian thing. Because, see, that whole system has, or at least the ideals of the people who are speaking of, because I'm pretty sure if I go and actually was to translate or interpret what was actually going on, you won't find the same ideal that's being spoken by the people who are speaking them today. That's just not how it works. What I'm saying is everybody wasn't, all black people weren't kings and queens. Right. Of course, we were the mothers and fathers of civilization, but everybody wasn't a priest or a prophet. And that's something that we haven't learned to kind of let go. Like, there were people who, just like not all white people are politicians, you know they're all in the government, but they're not all politicians, and not all white people are lawyers, and not all white people are presidents. Somebody, right. everybody has a gift to do something different to make the whole body come together. Thank but not everybody's an ear and not everybody's an eye and not everybody is a leg and not everybody's an arm or a hand right. or a head. And you can't be. Right. Because then who would walk and then who would eat and who would feed me and who would hear and who would smell and who would taste and who would sing and who would dance and who would clap and who would do all these other different things. Right. Somebody has to do it. I can't eat, smell, you know, uh, crap out of my mouth, <laughs> and I can't hear with my butthole, and I can't see with my hands. <laughs> that's just not logical. That's why you have two eyes. That's why you have two ears, and that's why you have a mouth, and that's why you have a nose, and that's why you have an anus, and that's why you have two legs and two arms. And you have a neck, and you have a back. They all perform different functions. And when our people understand that not everybody can be the head, somebody has to be the tail, not that somebody has to be the tail, but we have to understand that we all can't be the head. Right. That's just not how life works. But I do understand this. At some particular point, Caucasians are going to have to, the ones who are in, who are running government, they're going to have to understand that. They're going to have to relinquish the control that they've allowed themselves to uh, uh, foster under Zionism, under Christianity or Judaism or whatever it is that they put a name on our particular rulership that they, you know, were given divinely at some point, but they couldn't handle it. Obviously. Yeah. Because I don't need to go through a lodge to know the law or respect my brother. That shouldn't, it shouldn't even be that way. Right. 
Like it, it, it shouldn't be that way. And and what they didn't realize is that they eventually started doing these things. Like the law had to be what placed inside of a lodge. So that is how people are. So so instead of you telling and explaining the law to everybody, like you give everybody the common law, but then you eventually create a law for yourselves outside of the common law based off of a religion that you try to get everybody to understand, then you eventually end up making your own religion. But you try to make everybody believe that we all believe the same thing, and that's not what's going on. But they're going to have to relinquish it because they are not capable of understanding what to do with it. Government is one thing. They know how to feed people, and they know how to, you know, pay bills. Okay, well, great. But if you don't have the common decency to to say, well, you know what, I'm wealthy, but I want to see you suffer. Right. Like, no, like, that's, that's maniacal. You become maniacal at some point. I don't want to see another human being, or I don't have to, it shouldn't come to a point where another human being has to uh, have their blood shed in order for me to get money. Because then it doesn't right. really become wealth, it just becomes blood money, you know. Um, but, I mean, hey, I, they they are literally scared of what death can do to you. They know what it looks like now to have uh your rights taken away from you. They know what it's like when you're picking cotton with no shoes on and you may step over some brambles or some sticky birds in the 24-degree weather. They know it's like to get, you know, a crack on the back because they seem to happen to us. They don't want that. They know they don't want that. And Shalom, Shalom, Minister, why would you do that to somebody, though? This is the thing. Like, I was watching an IUIC video, and I was sick to my stomach because they're sitting on Jamaica Avenue in front of the E-train, running their mouth, talking to this Jewish guy, talking about, you're all going to die. We're going to put you to death. What did Christ say? Read, you know, and go into the scripture and prepare for slaughter. Prepare to inflict judgment from their forefathers onto their sons. And when Christ comes back, not the Christ you know, the black man that the scriptures talk about, he's going to kill you. I'm like, damn. And I'm saying to myself, dude, how stupid are you, though? Because he's your money. When I figured that out, Auntie, when I figured that out some years ago, my mind completely just switched. And then I began to see it for what it is. And I'm just kind of like, now when I hear it, it's almost kind of like, well, they really don't understand it then. They don't really get what what the gospel eventually was about. Like, okay, when you read, what is that book called? The Art of War. I forgot who it was about, but it's a really, really good book. Uh, Minister Priest um, had referenced that one point. Yeah. If y'all haven't read that book, you really need to read it because it's 
it's the simple. It basically makes war simple. It simplified war. Eventually, it, it war had became so simple till it's like I can break your back with the stroke of a pen, and that's usually that. That's how it has gotten now. But I think because our people have gotten so traumatized with cracking the whip, you know, having a whip crack over their back or being hung or strangled, so they're like, okay, well, that's what I want to do to you because that's what you did to me. I get eye for eye, two for a two. Don't get me, don't mistake it. I get it. But I can do just as much damage by commercially commercially making it to where on paper 400 years you have to pay taxes and you have to pay the tax the, the amount of taxes that I want you to pay that's almost just as bad as cracking a whip over a back because see those wounds can heal but when I got to come out of my pocket every day and take the money that I know I could be using to buy all of the Jordans and the burgers and going on yachts and all of that stuff and giving it to somebody in a form of taxation, that's going to really eat me up inside because now I can't be able to enjoy life. I can't do the things that I want to do. That's hell. That is hell. So that's why I was just that. So this is why I was saying they, uh, they see death now and they recognize it and they are scared crapless because they think we may do it to them. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you're going to get worse. You think a crack on the back is is going to satisfy me. It ain't going to satisfy me in particular because I know your mind now. They've exposed themselves. They've exposed themselves in greed. They've exposed themselves in uh, lucre. They've exposed themselves in schemes. So they're mental now, and it's like you mess with their mental, and which is their money, you don't mess with their whole body. You might as well kill them. Because, <laughs> like, now you're taking their life. And it's like, okay, so now, okay, i make a perfect example for you. Look at Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick is about to file for grievance amongst that, amongst other things he could do to them. And they ran to the whole table. They they all ran to the table. We need to go and get, because we don't know what kind of gun this man going to shoot us with. Bang, bang, bang. He's going to open fire on everybody. He's going to take out he gonna take out everybody, and no bullet has a name on it. He's going to take us to court, and he's going to fry us. And this may just very, very well be the very end of our careers, all with the stroke of a pen. So they get it. For them, it is wealth. It is wealth, and it's control. They don't want to give that up, but they're going to have to. Yeah. They're going to have to because we go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, and in essence, really, like, they're supposed to fight tooth and nail for their inheritance, their estate. And this is, you know, this, okay, they don't have 
from what I'm understanding, is they don't really have sovereign title rights over this land. What they basically did is took stewardship over our estate, and they're basically underwriting, for lack of a better word, for us because yeah. we've fallen and we're not in the proper state of mind consciousness to take control of our state yet, but we're coming. So someone else has to basically step in our shoes and make sure that all the day-to-day operations were ran appropriately and budgets allocated for things that were necessary for everybody on the planet because that's what we were doing. But Mm -hmm. we don't have the good sense God gave us right now, so we can't step back in our shoes and do that. But once we do, and take control of that estate, what we will be doing is what they're doing, which is what natural law tells you to do. Exactly. Since since they are basically holding stewardship over this property and they are basically the fictitious owners of this land, they're not supposed to let a foreign nation get high above anyone of their nationality. It's in the book. It's written. They're following it. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm going to read something out of this same book. (laughs) This is in the book of Ecclesiasticus. I made sure I highlighted this, and and I I won't forget that this is ever in there. Everybody should really uh, make sure they get this Bible. Make sure you get a Bible. I don't care what it is. It's got to be a 1611 with an apocrypha in it because this is vital. Listen to this. This is in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 26, and it reads as follows. My son, keep the flower of your age sound and give not your strength to strangers. When you have gotten a fruitful possession through all the field, sow it with your own seed, trusting in the goodness of your stock, so that your race, which you leavest, shall be magnified, having the confidence of their good descent. Amen. This is in the Bible. <laughs> This is in one of the books that they had removed. And people are talking about, oh, well, this book is fake, and this book is not real, and this is fake. I'm not worried about whether the person who wrote it was fake or real or not at this particular point. I really don't care because at this particular point, it's codified. So it is the law now. (laughs) However, I'm reading it, and I'm sitting there like, these people know something we don't. They haven't been reading the book forever. And you better tell me, as long as I've been reading the book, and I sat down this I sat down this year and had when I really, really, really wanted to read it, I found this in the book, even though it was in the beginning of the book, but now because the Bible eventually becomes a little bit more uh, uh 
ex, uh, I guess you how, how, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's explained a little bit more. It's a little bit more detailed. You read something like that, and you be like, what the heck? That's in the scriptures? And it's like, yeah, it's in the scriptures. What do you mean? Why not? These people understand natural law. They understand the science of natural law. They understand politics and psychology. They were scientists. They were lawyers. They were attorneys, so they understood it. They were priests and bishops, so they understood it. And they understood in self-preservation. Why our people don't understand that? I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't have anything against anybody, you know, uh, stepping outside of their race because eventually you can't tell two people what to do in the bed. Or what I do know was this: your information is very unique. Your your biological information is very unique and is designed for a certain purpose. Now, I I understand that now. While I can't tell anybody what to do with their lives, I can ensure that me and mine are protected. And I can ensure me and mine that, you know, whatever comes in my estate is going to stay in my estate. And whoever comes under my estate is under my estate. It is as simple as that. And once the Israelites figured that out, it was like they... I mean, they, it was no turning back from it. They understood what they needed to do. And when at some point they weren't willing to, to deal with it because they started, right. you know, doing other different things, so they had it taken away from them. Yeah. It, it, it's that simple. I'm reading, what, the book of, I think it was the book of Luke last night. And a lot of people don't give a lot of thought to it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I'm looking, I'm trying to pay attention to details. This is what I'm working on now. I'm trying to pay attention to details. I'm looking at the, uh, I think it was, he was describing the tetrarchs and the, uh, he was describing the kingdom of the, the Roman Empire during the time that they had hold on Syria and Judea or Palestine. And he was, Talking about how it was sectional. This is in the very beginning of the book of, no, I think it's in the, the fifth chapter or the seventh chapter or something like that. I have to go back. Go back. Of Luke? Yes, it was of Luke. I got so much. Hold on. It was in. No. Hold on. And he didn't break it down, like, break it, break it down, I had to, like, go back in and kind of, I had to pull out the books and, and, you know, look it up, because I just wanted to know exactly what he was talking about, but nonetheless, he was talking about how the, the Roman Empire was sectioned off, and who had control over what area? He was talking about Herod, and he was talking about his brother Philip, and then he was talking about some other guy, and he was talking about Pontius Pilate was the governor. But all uh, three of these guys and that one person, they split the kingdom into four different areas. Well, they it was supposed to be split in four areas, but Pilate was the governor over that state. So I'm looking at things like that, and I'm 
I'm letting it register because a lot of people think, oh, well, you have governors and they're just taking money and this is just kind of like, but you don't understand the office. It's just an office. Anybody can do that. Anybody can be a priest and anybody can, anybody who com, who's committed to doing that. I'm not just saying anybody should be thrown in there. I'm just saying anybody who's committed to doing those things should be in there. But they're doing it. And they're, they're very specific about all these different things. Then they're very specific about, uh, I guess you can say, race relations. If you, you know, according to this language, race relations, the Caucasian, they like to say race a lot. Uh, but nonetheless, the, when they put it in the book, these people understood that they were, they understood tribalism. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but nonetheless, they understood it enough to say, I want my possessions to pass off under this estate. And if it's lumped underneath one main estate, boom, then it's going to, you know, everybody in that estate, they get to share in that wealth. But anything else, anybody outside of that, they don't get that. These white people figured it out. They've been reading this book. Yes, sir. And so... Wow, I mean, yeah. which which chap which chapter was that? Because I looked at five and seven, I didn't see it. This, are you talking about uh, the think about the race thing or the one about the? Uh, no, I I know the thing about the race. You were talking about the book of Ecclesiastes, but then you oh, were talking I'm about talking the different about, sections. Oh, Pontius Pilate and the uh, the three Tetra arcs. I can never say that right. Tetrarch, Tetrarch, oh, Tetrarch, you guys, <laughs> hopefully you do. You'll see it, you'll come close, you'll come into it, and it was like right in the book. Where is it? Okay, Elizabeth, Augustus, Roman, Caesar, I just wrote it down like, ah, there it goes. It's in chapter three, chapter three, the first verse. It doesn't explain it the way that I, you know, it, it, it just says it, but y'all know how we do it, tries. We tend to break things down uh, in, in terms of law, so we understand it. The, we understand it, the, you know, the way that the law would specify it. I just went to the dictionaries, and I just was able to kind of use the dictionary uh, definition to kind of break it down. But they, they they know how to deal with estates and, and divide kingdoms and stuff like that. They did it in America. Yes, that's what I was going to say, um, Minister, that, like, everything you just said made me think about the movie Get Out. And what our people don't realize is that the reason that, you know, one one of the reasons, there could be many other reasons, but one of the reasons I believe that the open policy to accept miscegenation um, has been implemented is to keep our people in the position and state of mind consciousness that they're in, to keep them in the estate that they're in, and to keep them married to this particular state, which is really smart. It's a really, really, really good, divisive plan. And 
I just kind of laugh when people get upset when I talk about, you know, marrying within your own state and your tribe. And, like, people will make such a big deal about having pure breed dogs. You know, this is a pure <laughs> pit bull. This is a pure mastiff. This is a right. pure bull. You know, but then... If you say, I want my children to be, you know, what most common language people understand, black. I want my husband to be black. I want my wife to be black because I want my children to be black and I want them to be pure black children. They'll get upset. But they don't get upset when they're talking about their animals this way. So it just, it's really, really interesting. And I yield. You know, you know what's so interesting about that because it's like I I I hate to say it the way that I'm about to say it, but I gotta say it. I really I think it's self hate issues. I really think it's self hate issues because I'm thinking the fact that you would make a big deal out of someone uh, saying they want to marry someone that looks like them is got to be a psych- – see, and that's just the thing. It's a, it's a really a psychological thing. How would you get mad at someone telling you that you should stick to your own kind? I mean, I'm pretty sure an elephant would say thank you. I don't mind doing that. I'm pretty sure a tiger and a lion wouldn't mind saying thank you. I wouldn't mind doing that. Because, see, they know they they operate on instinct. The tiger don't have to, to, to guess that, hey, maybe I should go and meet with a female lioness. Maybe I should just go try that, you know. If I get a little something different. You know, I want my baby to come out with some, some different colored tiger eyes, you know. I don't want to have whiskers, so I think I might go and – I think I may go and, 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 and meet with a giraffe or something, you know. I don't want any whiskers. I don't want any, oh, I don't want any uh, uh, stripes, seasons. I think I may go and meet with a leopard, you know. I want my kids to have some spots. Shalom. Yes, sir. <laughs> Shalom. That goes back with uh, the displacement. How yeah. they, uh, how they, uh, <laughs> they, they make the women, you know, uh, they make the women not like them themselves. They make us not like themselves. You know, they always putting other items or playstations or cars or sneakers or dogs or something in our face mm-hmm. so we can forget about us. You yeah. know, and uh, we love everything except ourselves. You know, that's what what it boils down to. And while we loving everything, we forget to. Uh, like she say, uh, keep it pure bread or pure blood. Keep it pure blood. Yeah. And 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 everything else just went down here from there. And now it's an individual uh, thing. You know, they they you have you strive to be number one. You know, and they push that agenda. So if you think about only yourself and your material that you have, then and they know that the material that you have coming back to them, they can keep. Everybody more, you know, separated, and it goes along with the plan because they got your state of mind, like she said, in that state, and they got your state of mind in the state that they wanted to be in. So 
as they keep grooming you to be a dummy, or they groom America to be a dummy, now they see that most most of them, I call them Jerry kids, because, you know, when they had that little special, the Jerry show, the <laughs> Jerry Lewis, they had the Jerry Lewis. Had, it, but the fact that you said Jerry kids. <laughs> yeah, they had, they be raising money for, you know, them, them children grew up, you know, special, special children who be on, uh, uh, what's that uh, drug they put them on, Ritley. They, them children grew up and had children. So if they got a mental deficiency on that drug, then, you know, their children have a mental deficiency as well, and you're just right. raising a bunch of dope heads. And Basically. At, at the same time, as you're raising a bunch of dope heads, you're getting these people materialistic. Now, it's just like taking something from a baby that he loved the most. He's going to holler and fight and kill. He'll even kill if he knew how to. So, because he don't have no order and no structure, you know, they they ain't teach him. So it's just like a bunch of babies that well, that's why they call those minor minorities. But that I you. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that and about what Auntie Anisha had said. Cause I was going to make a, I was going to make this point. What I noticed what usually happens uh, in the script. What usually happened in the scriptures is any time that the Israelites um, were dispossessed of their property. Uh, and they had a curator place over them and their estate, they would be moved out, right? They would be dispossessed, but then they would move other nations in. So then now they're subletting or subleasing the land to all of these different nations or these different tenants. And these different tenants may or may not pay tribute but nonetheless, they're subleasing the property that's not necessarily owned by uh, the person. Uh, they, because again, they're just a curator. Curators are just tutors for people who are considered to be uh, uh, prodigious, um, uh, not mentally. Uh, developed, and what I mean is that they're not in the mindset of a person who's sane and sound. And what they consider sane and sound now in the real world is being able to read and write a contract. So now, you know, they consider these people to be illiterate or without any learning or unlearned. So they have to have a magistrate over them, which is why you have our governors over us now. You have your governors, you have your superintendents, you have everybody else, um, you know, that is over us, and then they allow all these other different people to come in as tenants. While we're tenants here, but we don't get the privilege of a tenant. We get the tenant, we get the, we get the privilege of somebody who is just visiting the house. Make sure you shut the door on the way out. (laughs) We'll lock it behind you, you know. That's the kind of privilege that we get, but that is the privilege that we always get. But let me also say this. That's the privilege that you should get anyway when you are being dispossessed because it is the law. 
So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to vilify them on that part because that is still the law. If you dispossess, if you dispossess somebody from a, a, a property, they no longer, you know, own it at this particular point, or they're not, they're not able to manage it. So somebody, they're distripped of the rights to manage it uh, until they can come up with the ordinances, or they can come up with the power of the ordinances, we'll let somebody else come in and sublease or lease the property until you can get your stuff together and run your own house. And that's what they did every every time. But I noticed that what ended up happening is every time that we sub, we co-tenanted with these people, we lose ourselves. Because then these people want to bring all of their different ideologies into the house. So now the house becomes unclean, but you got too many ideologies and have too many people here who do want to, they want to make the house a certain way. And like Christ said, a house, Satan can't cast out Satan because then he can't stand. A house divided cannot stand, which it works, you know, it would work well for somebody who eventually knew that, well, since everybody's divided, we could just go in and conquer them. But it doesn't work well for a person who already conquered the place and trying to hold peace. Because if I'm trying to have peace in the, in the house, but then the house is divided, then we're not going to have a house. And like now we live in America, we don't have a house. We have apartments. Yeah, the apartments right. go to crumble. <laughs> the apartments is going to crumble. Because everybody can do what they want to do in their house, but... At the end of the day, you got one person who's collecting the rent from the from the apartment, right? Everybody, that that person is collecting the rent from the apartment, and as long as everybody who is you know leasing from the person who's collecting the rent from the apartment is doing their own different things, you have some people who may be messy, and some people who might like to eat chips outside and leave a bag on the ground. That's gonna bring down the value of the man property. So if the man can't get everybody to eventually you know, stop eating chips on the property and stop throwing it bag outside, and he's going to have to find a way to clean house. He's going to have to probably sell the property to another person who can handle the property, which usually that's what they do anyway, and the property becomes under new management. So I'm just kind of like, I see what they're doing, but we have to recognize, too, that the the lawful part they got right, it's just the fact that eventually over time is them high and behind the law doing certain different things, like trying to persuade people to question their gender and persuade people to accept certain different things about themselves. Like if I had it my way, yes, black people would need to only be with black people, but then you can't force anybody to do it. But see, now it's the power of persuasion with them because they don't want to be able to say that you know, they don't want you to blame them for the choices you decide to make. But they can persuade you to do it. They can subliminally persuade you to do it. They could subliminally persuade you to ruin yourself. That would be considered a sorcery. But at the end of the day, we still have to be held accountable for it because we're the ones doing it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we're the ones that's doing the action. See, they're only giving you the thought, but you are the ones who will be responsible because you did the act. So when you have people 
who are in these interracial marriages, and it may come a time where there's a penalty for being in it, and then they may start pointing fingers and saying, well, see, they made me do it. Politicians are going to say, no, it ain't. we didn't make you. We ain't going to tell you to marry that white woman. You came in here and said that you wanted a marriage license. We did the blood test. We, you, we, you went to court. You, you know, you did what you needed to do, and you paid for that sin. You paid for it. So don't get mad at us. We just thought that it would be really nice if, you know, if the place was a little bit more different. But we didn't tell you that you had to act on the difference. That's how they play the game. But black people don't see it, or so-called black people don't see it, because they feel like we, we feel like we're getting everything we want. But, you know, I'm realizing there's going to come a time where, you know, it ain't going to always be like this, and it shouldn't be. i give you a perfect example of what I'm saying. At my restaurant, or a restaurant that I work at, uh, this woman and her husband, the lady was the general manager, her husband was a sous chef. They eventually left because they wanted to go and open up the, their own restaurant in Denver, Colorado. So I was told. I, You know, there's been stories saying that they got fired, they got let go, they put in their 90 days notice, and then they, you know, were told that they could just go ahead and leave because they got fired. But nonetheless, before they left, they were told that, uh, they told certain people at the restaurant that they would bump them up from a server assistant to a server, okay? They ended up leaving. The people who ended up getting promised to become a server after being a server assistant were denied that promotion because the new manager decided that well, we already have enough. We already have enough uh, servers. We don't need a whole lot more servers. But then here's what ended up happening: y'all hired more people to become servers. <laughs> you hired more people to become servers before the people who already, you know, was told that they were going to become a server, and you told them no. What I'm getting at is this. These people were told something under one uh, one uh, rule of law while these people were uh, uh, general manager and, and sous chef or head chef. But now you got a new sous chef and a new general manager, and they're saying, no, you can't do it. We're not going to honor that. Because we think, we think, we think, we think. This is how we see it. This is how it's going to be done. So then that's the same thing that can happen in government. So now government may say, well, we just don't think that, you know, black people and white people should be together. And if we catch you together, we are going to find you or kill you. All these interracial marriages and stuff like that, they kind of set themselves up. And this isn't just interracial marriage. This is LGBT, people who commit crimes, people who smoke dope, people who smoke crack, people who kill, people who still set themselves up for a pretty uh, tight situation. Because the people who may come after this administration and the administration after that and the administration may after that may not tolerate certain things or not going to tolerate certain things that is being done. And what's going to happen to those privileges? And what's going to happen to the people 
who are doing these privileges now, which may be considered an offense in the next administration. They're going to be pretty screwed. So, you know, I kind of look at it like, I just remember when Auntie Anisha had said uh, at the beginning of the year, I think when she was talking about the Philistine prophecy, I think that's what she was talking about and how eventually it all comes back full circle. You remember that, Auntie? Shalom. Yeah, we kind of went all over the place. <laughs> we did. Because um, the... we were talking about something very specific and then it, Sparked the thought, and we came for, we literally came full circle. Yeah. Um, but the situation comes right back full circle. It's going to come a time, and, and, and again, I think we end up finishing with the same statement that I'm about to make. It's going to come a time where these laws that once were or was not finally is. I mean, but I assume that the laws is because the people are actually following it. But what happens when the people who are actually controlling the laws, you know, that they want to use from this book are no longer able to control those laws? What happens when there's a different face put on those laws? Now the people who are subjected to those laws are going to see how it felt. That's all I'm saying. You know, they kind of put themselves in a tight situation, but that's just the I, – I, 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 I'm believing that that's how 360 works. As, I mean, that's how it shows itself. That's the, that's the observation. And I, I believe, or it appears, that that is what the Moses, David, Yeshua, uh, and Yeshua, the the high priest during the time of the Ruzel, that's what all of them saw. Ezra, that's what they all eventually came to the conclusion. And that's why I think at this particular point, when you read something like this Bible here, is big, but it's very small and it's very concise that people convince themselves that it's just not enough because it's too concise. We need more. And it's almost kind of like, no, you don't, because everything you really truly do need is really in there. I think the people which, the, the people of the book were just very concise because they'd seen it happen so much that they they knew patterns, and they were willing to just say, hey, this is what works and this is what doesn't. But anyway, anybody have any uh, comments about that? And if not, does anybody have any other topics? Uh, that they would like to put on the table, just say your name for on the record. I'm sorry I was long-winded, but I had to get that out. <laughs> I apologize for being long-winded, and I don't want to seem like I'm preaching, but I had to get that out. I yield. The floor is open. Hello, Brother E.K. Um, just wanted to extend the, the topic a little bit. I don't know if you guys heard about it in the news, but there's a college out in Missouri called the College of the Ozarks, and they basically have a class for incoming freshmen on patriotic uh patriotism excuse me and one of the one of the um one of the 
uh, components is about being able to uh, deal with the, the whole flag, national flag, the national anthem, the whole flag issue. Um, mm-hmm. That every every student is going to understand that they have to honor that flag, so to speak. And then their football team basically has a no pledge, no play policy where if they're playing opponents, if that opposing team's coaches or players or staff members don't stand for the national anthem, they're not going to play. So going back to Wolverine, it's like they're preparing – they're preparing their kids for, like, what's about to happen. Like, they're not playing games, you know. So it's like I heard it on the news this morning. It's just, like, really interesting like how just one situation that our brother did is causing so much outcry and so much revamping of people's educational policies and how they conduct themselves in sports and stuff like that. It's interesting. How are you? Salam, brother EK. You know what's really, really interesting, too? Like, I don't know if you guys saw that map that um, and that video that I had shared to the WhatsApp group a while ago of what the United States is supposed to look like after the polar shift. And they showed you, like, the certain areas that were going to be flooded. And they were basically mapping out the, the United States government was mapping out and trying to figure out what area would be the best area to relocate to. And they they set out, actually, like if you look on YouTube, there's tons of videos where people are showing how the government is setting up shop and the place that they're setting up shop, the high ground where they're setting up shop, is the Arkansas-Missouri Ozarks. Wow. <laughs> So it's very interesting. Uh, wait a minute. You said you're setting up shop in Ozark, uh, Arkansas, Missouri? Wait. Missouri, Arkansas, Ozarks. Because um, it's very fertile land and it's high land. It's the highest hmm. above sea level. And where it is in, in respect to the equator, you know, once the poles shift, um, a lot of the northern states and some of the upper southern states are going to, you know, like where, um, let's say where I am now, I'll probably have New York weather once the poles shift, whereas the Missouri-Arkansas will have mild winters and, you know, warm summers, and the land is very fertile. So most of government agencies are relocating. A lot of military people are also buying land in the Missouri, Arkansas, Ozarks, um, retirement land as well, a lot of the military, because that is supposed to be safe high ground for when the pole shifts. And I hear It's interesting. Um, the first thing I wanted to say was um, about the patriotism class. It's coerced idolatry. And, I mean, no, seriously, it is, because I'm like this. If you're going to tell me that your pride for flag is more important than the law, which says that you don't have to, you know, the right for you to not stand for the flag is, is, is honored, is constitutional, and you're going to put your personal 
beliefs or your personal opinion above the common law, then there's something wrong with you, and you're coercing other people to become idolaters. Because you can't tell me that you are supposed to be so patriotic for America, but then you don't respect the laws. Like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't tell them, okay, then respect the Constitution, but then respect the flag. Okay, well, at nine times out of ten, you can take the United States Constitution and move it under a whole other different body and a whole other different flag, and it is still operate the same way. So you meant to tell me that you have more, you value the flag over your Constitution. Since the hypocrisy of these low, these low-level publicans, no, not publicans, <laughs> patricians, and uh, uh. Low-level Romans, that's what I like. Well, that's what I'm going to call them, low-level Romans. There's the hypocrisy of them. And the whole situation with them, uh, the pole shift, the first thing that just keeps coming to mind is that movie, that um, the Resident Evil Final Chapter movie, where I I posted that part, too. No, I didn't post that part. I actually uh, posted it on my YouTube page, but I didn't posted on my Facebook page about how they had a secret meeting and how they was going to orchestrate this apocalypse and stuff like that. Like, I feel like they just can't not live with the fact that they're going to have to, you know, give this up. They They claim to be, they don't, they don't want to be they don't want to be Christian. They don't want to be Jewish. They don't want to even be Zionist. They just want to be able to have control. They can put as many. They want to put as many names on whatever it is that they think it is that they have, you know, to try to keep people from really coming against them, you know, because that's all people are really dealing with now is the names. So people kind of get confused, and now they take these these names and the ideologies, and they're using it to fight against each other. But it's like these people are really, they did that to keep you off of them because what they're really trying to do is keep the control to keep themselves from being under the the dictators, you know, the, the, the governance of somebody else and be stripped of privileges because in all honesty, they are going to get worse. If it was left up to me, they're, they're going to get twice as worse. And they brought it on themselves because for you to sit by and you 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 take the you take law and they're going to tell me, okay, I should respect the law, but then you take, you know, your you you coerce other people into creating this whole other religion outside of religion that you tried to force on me. I mean, well, you can't serve two masters either. Mm-hmm. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, they're struggling for power. You know, you know, they, they're really, really struggling with that. And that's okay. Let them struggle. You know, that's their struggle to, you know, suffer, not mine. I just feel like at this particular point in time, 
you know, we're losing time by not realizing that they have already kind of put themselves down. They have already kind of flushed themselves down the toilet because they they made bad on uh, on honoring certain different obligations that have already kind of suffered. You know, uh, you know them trying to appease everybody and. You know, give the rainbow flag to people and uh, uh, taking down quote unquote racist monuments. That's not going to make me feel better. That's going to make you feel better because you think it make me feel better. I don't care. That's your history. I'm not going to take away that. Take away. Take that away from you because when you go, it's going with you. <laughs> so just enjoy it. That's how I feel about it. Just like. People have to understand, like, look at the whole situation with the Israelites. A lot of us feel like, well, you know, where is our history and where is our monuments and where is this and where is that? Well, that went down the toilet when we went down the toilet. You thought that was going to, you, you thought they was going to keep that, and they made it, did keep it because they made it feel like it was valuable to them. But do you honestly think that, you know, these people are going to let you keep your pride. No, they're not going to let you keep your pride. Your pride is going to go right down the toilet along with your status. They don't care, and they ain't going to respect it because it shouldn't be respected if you don't respect it. And that's how it should be. So I look at it like this. Let them enjoy the little piece of crap that they have. That's all they have outside of the, the agony that they're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is literally, like I literally see it because it, ha- it doesn't happen to us. And now that we understand that the roles can reverse, let them have their filth. It's theirs. I don't care. I don't want it. It ain't going to make me feel better to, to take, you know, uh, down the, the Talmadge Bridge, which they plan to change the name of it. I'm like, why would you change the name of it? Because you feel like it's racist. I don't care. I still got to travel on it. <laughs> it ain't gonna sell me from traveling on taxes and all the rest of that crap. Exactly. So then I don't care. Just <laughs> the change the name of it. it. Ain't gonna stop it from the the history is going to be there because the name the history is going to come up. Who built the bridge? Talmadge. Okay, then. So why did you change the name of it? The Most High said that you should not move trademarks or uh, uh, whatever those things are called uh, landmarks. Don't do it. Let them have it. It's there for a memorial for a reason. Let them have it. I don't care. It don't bother me because when it goes, when they go, it goes right along with them. That's how I look at it. They'll be able to, you know, they'll be able to reminisce on, you know, the good days when they could have used it, but then it'll be nothing better than the have them have things that they can't use. Hmm. I built this bridge. Where is it? (laughs) 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 Well, see, we used to have it here. Okay, see, you used to have it here. What happened to it? Well, when our people fell, it fell. Okay, well, then you don't have a bridge. See how that works? That's how I look at it. I look at it like let them have the little piece of thing that they're holding on to. If they want to hang on to a flag, let them have their little flag. It's all they have. But don't tell me that I shouldn't have pride in my people either. 
Mm-hmm. My pride for my people should come before anything. I assume that they 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 figure that their nationalism, they're mistaking their nationalism. How should I say this? They've taken nationalism and put it above the law. I hope I said it right. I mean, because what I'm saying is they basically outright said, well, screw the right that black people, screw the fact that black people have the right to not, you know, honor the flag. We're telling you that you better honor the flag. But then you compromise the, the, the privileges of the people who the land is actually for. It's for your people. They should be able to have the right to say, no, we don't want to have to put up the flag. But now you tell them they better honor the flag. You took in that right. You took in you took in the Constitution away from them. So you basically taking their privilege away from them by forcing them into an idea that they should do it in terms of um, it's going to send a message to these people. Only message it's going to send to me is that you don't even care about your own law. I get that it is your flag. But your law says that no one really has to to really honor it. You would compromise your you would compromise the integrity of the law for your own nationalist views. Huh? Okay. It's just it's this nation is like bipolar schizophrenic. One second you're saying you better honor the flag, but then the next second there are certain people that are being forced to take flags from off of their property, from hanging in front of their house or on their building because it's, quote, unquote, you know, offensive to other nationalities that are here. So, like, which one is it? Like, Mm -hmm. confusing. And then it's like it's not even it's not even nationality that they I don't know if it's nationality that they want you to idolize. It's like they want you to idolize the corporation. Mhm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we all have our own nationalities, and this country is a melting pot. So I don't know if it's nationality. They've twisted the meaning of nationality just so that Babylon can exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's just bipolar schizophrenic. Even mm. the government is not sane. So, you know, it's very simple. The Most High says, okay, if you will obey my laws, I will make you the head and not the tail. I will make you the nation above all nations. If you don't, I'm going to tear you down. It's that simple. Be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. True. Simple. Keep it simple. Kiss it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're going to be stressed. Mm. Yeah. So yes, sir, brother. So, you know, it's funny because they didn't breach their own contract. They didn't breach their own constitution at the end of the day because that's why it's like we have a right to peaceful assembly anyway. So in the constitution, if they look further, it doesn't say anything about not 
that you don't have to stand for the flag. I mean, come on, like, it's like, look at your constitution, look at your contract, and look at your terms and conditions. Are you in compliance with it? No, you're not. So you're in breach. So what do you think is going to happen to them when, like you mentioned, about all these different things that they're cleaving onto? And even though they still have the so-called, I would say, privilege to do what they're doing as far as custodianship over us as because of our status, whatever. But that doesn't mean that they have to take it overboard. So they also in breach of that universal law contract as well that the most has given. So it's like they're in breach everywhere. So yes. at some point so at some point they're gonna suffer big time because they violated natural law, number one. They're violating human rights, number two. And it's like they're looking at the fact that at the hands of your quote-unquote corporation, your quote-unquote employees are getting killed by your quote-unquote your your quote-unquote um, personnel staff members. So if you think about it, what are you doing as a corporation? That's like you're in breach of your own contracts, okay? So it's like you're violating you know, you all the so-called amendment, first, first um, bill of rights, all of the amendments, and it's like when a football player kneels for a national anthem, now he's the bad guy. Now he's the bad guy. So if I was calling Kevin, I'd take it to the Supreme Court. Oh yeah. This is like, come on, like you in breach of a universal law contract at the end of the day. Like stop playing games. And this is why, like. Even with this whole collusion thing and file of grievance is getting them shooken up with the owners, if he takes it to the Supreme Court, the NFL could possibly really be like under extreme scrutiny. And then other other agencies that is really taking uh taking um participating in its uh coerced idolatry, having schools saying you must have a patriotism class to enforce the ideals of this nation. Okay, wh- what about just talking about the constitution itself? That could be a, uh, a fact to understand, okay, this is how the constitution works, and this is how you enforce the ideals of your so-called nation, but you don't even do that. You take the flag as your god, as your idol god. You worship that flag. And then even in the scriptures that they so-called preach in the churches, I shall not have any gods before me. So why are you making a national anthem and the flag your idol god to worship? Therefore, you're also in breach of that contract. So, therefore, what do you think is going to happen when the Most High descends on you? It's not a game. Like, they got to, like, really wake up to that reality. Otherwise, you know, you know they're going to be flushed out the toilet with with that nonsense, not you. I kind of always... Gentlemen, I got a question. Oh, go ahead. I got a question. How is the Constitution even lawful? I'm asking this because how is it lawful? Because when you think about the colonists that were sent over here, the pilgrims, they were indentured servants. The United States was a a, a British territory, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Under our jurisdiction, the United States actually belonged to Britain, right? So yeah. they committed mutiny, basically, they say, screw you, we don't want to pay taxes because we don't have representatives over there in the House of Commons. 
So we're going to fight a war for our independence, which is really, really, that's mutiny. Okay, so they want. They left them alone. They created their constitution. But eventually, they didn't know how to manage their own stuff, and then they had to go and borrow money, and they ended up losing their estate because of all the interest that they owed to the Federal Reserve. So they, well, they ended up, so how, okay, how do you create a constitution, a contract, okay? This is basically, what this, is the constitution a freaking um, a mission statement for the corporation? Is that what well, the constitution is? Because I, 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 I'm not understanding here. You're well, under contract. You, you, you agree to take over this estate and to be executioners of the laws of this particular estate, which is Torah. That is the original covenant. So then you go and you create another covenant to that you breach everywhere. I can't, okay, because I kind of I understand what you're saying, but then check this check this out because it's because kind of when it happened in stages, it happened through I guess you could say different avenues of law. So let me just say it in this way. When they went bankrupt, bankruptcy doesn't necessarily say that you don't have rights. Bankruptcy just allows you to, from what I gather from it, bankruptcy would just allow a person to uh, kind of claim the rights that they want in the form of an exemption or claim the privileges that they would want in the form of an exemption, the rights that they lawfully are entitled to in the form of an exemption. And that's what they were able to do. However, the people who stepped in the shoes to act as the, uh, um, who, who stepped to act as the, administ- the ministers of the, and, and the executors for the corporation, you know, they're, how should I say, they're working for a, a, well, we all know that they're working for a private agency. We know the Federal Reserve is a private agency. Well, it's a, it's a front for the private agency because it's it's a, what they call an outsourced administration. It's the, the United States outsourced the uh, right to collect the monies from this debtor organization through receivership in a bankruptcy. That's basically all they did. But the Constitution still remained intact because it is what is used to identify the potential debtor. I mean, if it didn't have a Constitution, there would be no body. Now, you also have with the Constitution, the UCC, which is another body of law that's kind of governing, acting as a way to govern commerce. They got two types of law operating at the same time, but nonetheless, the initial Constitution that they had is just that's what is used to identify the the the, the body 
uh, in terms of the government. That's that's what they're using to identify themselves. That is the essence of who they are. Now, I just I have to leave it there on that one because there is a whole lot more. I think that once we start to research it, we'll 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 figure it out. But the things that that happened in terms of the bankruptcy and stuff, all that's public record. So we kind of know why the why the Constitution is solidified, and that's just because that is I assume that is what they were allowed to keep during the time that they were going through their bankruptcy. You know, I, I that that would just be my observation of it all. That would just be my um, apparent thought about it. I don't see, you know, like, one of the things I will say is this. In the Constitution, they do have the right, they have in their uh, no bill of attainder. Now, in Europe or in Britain, the Bill of Attainder will be used for someone who committed treason and would strip that person of their privileges. Now, when the United States went in bankruptcy, I'm thinking that the Bill of Attainder Clause allowed the United States government to retain that body of law because the body of law is what gave them those privileges. It, it is their privilege. <laughs> so, um, you know, I assume that they, you know, that's the part that had to be honored maybe um, through the people who were just coming. Because, again, these people who were coming to uh, do a receivership are doing it solely based on a financial obligation, which at this particular point, you know, the United States is pinching pennies in order to do it. They're paying it, and then they're not paying it at the same time. You know, I don't know all of the the, the ramifications of how that goes, but we can obviously say they haven't been paying. They've been paying, but they've been not paying. Because from what I can remember, when I was in American presidency, I remember uh my uh doctor uh he was saying that uh, what they were doing was they were paying the interest and they weren't paying the principal. He said it not in those words, but I'm saying it in those words. He was saying that they were paying the interest but they weren't paying the principal. So I'm assuming that's how they've been paying their bills. They've just been keeping their head above water by paying the interest and not the principal. But none uh, uh, They were doing the, the good time. Yeah, I know. Right? That's the first thing that came to, that's what came to mind when I was saying it, though. Right. No, like, seriously, that's what I think, and uh, that's what happens. I think that they've been pretty much just paying the interest, which I think is the the deficit and then you have the national deficit, which is the principal, which they haven't necessarily been paying. Uh, and I could have it wrong, but I go back and research it. But I'm just saying that's what that's what I think is actually going on. But nonetheless, I think that the power to revoke the Constitution necessary. Okay, I put it to you this way: 
If you read the book of, what's the book? Not Kings. It may be, ooh, what book is that? What book is that? It might have been Kings. No, it wasn't Kings. I think it was, this is why I wish I was a Bible scholar. I think it was the book. I think it was the second book of Kings. It was the second book of Kings of Chronicles where it was talking about how the tribe of Judah eventually went into, uh, they went into uh, captivity. The first person to put them into captivity was the Egyptian king, but what he did was instead of, he deposed the king. I, I don't know if anybody remember a priest, a uh, minister I priest. I remember Boone. that. Y'all remember that? A king deposed? That's I still king, have that yeah. for you. And I, I, I frequented here and there. That's but the young then, king, right? Yeah. The young king. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, he, he, his name was changed from Elo, I think it was Elo King to Yacho King or something like that. And he was placed as the, uh, he was chosen as a king. I like to call him a king pretender because the person who was collecting the, the, the tribute was actually the king. <laughs> okay? So you have a king pretender, which is the Israelite king of Judah, uh, King Georgian. Um, he ended up um, making bad on his obligation. And I think he also got into a contract with Nebuchadnezzar. And I think it went bad with the Egyptian king. I think I'm not sure because I'm not looking directly at the book. Something happened where uh, King Joachim was removed from kingship, and then they installed another king. I think. But what you have to pay attention to is this: once they, once a king comes in and uproot the king from being the king, they can install the prefects or the viceroys or whoever they want to be over that specific estate. You understand what I'm saying? And not necessarily lose the essence of the state. Which I mean is they don't have to lose the constitution because you see the same thing happen when the Romans or the Greeks came in in the state of Judea. Do y'all remember the Treaty of 161? Anybody remember the Treaty of 161? Has anybody ever heard of the Treaty of 161? I never heard of it at all, but I do remember. They don't the treaty. But I do remember this um this part in the movie um dang. The last movie that they did on Jesus of Nazareth, where they had like all the tributes and and uh, the guy was like the um the fair, the the high priest kept coming to him about Yeshua um, that he was saying something like he was coming to him to meet with him in his chamber because he had risen and um no he was about to risen he was about yeah. to rise and they wanted him to put guards at his tomb to make sure that oh. didn't happen and he was like, you know, don't worry about it. He's no longer a threat to your piety. And I was like, 
that made me think about what you were just saying now where they were allowed to have their constitution still in place, but I never heard of the treaty you're about to tell us about. I no, like the Treaty of 161, that's in the book of, um, it's in the book of Maccabees. I think it's in the first book of Maccabees when Maccabees sent his, uh, he sent the ambassadors to Rome when Rome was be, about to become a, a empire. Because Alexander was the first person to uh, to extend that nation, and then it became an empire. But the Romans, not the Greeks, who uh, meshed with the uh, Egyptians and they became they before uh, formulated a subclass. The Romans ended up subduing the Greeks and uh, most of Asia and Egypt and Ethiopia and so on and so forth. Um, in North Africa, and while while they were subduing Spain and Italy and all this stuff is in Maccabees, um, Maccabeus, he sent ambassadors to Rome to make a league with them, and the league was uh, called the Treaty of 161, which allowed the Israelites to keep certain rights, but they weren't allowed to uh, execute criminal, they weren't allowed to do certain uh, legal things, like they weren't allowed to execute a person, they weren't allowed to do, I had to find that book called uh, Yeshua. That, that is so fascinating because what it all boils down to and what you realize Rome and Babylon and Egypt really care about they don't necessarily care about the metaphysical, the spiritual coming into the physical and the laws that pertain to that. They, their God literally is gold, oil, and drugs. <laughs> <laughs> they want the control. That's it. <laughs> they just want it. Uh, they just want it. They want to be able to control. They want to be able to be the movers and the shakers of things. And it's like they they want it for all the wrong reasons, though, because I don't really see exactly what, you know, I can see what they are doing with the, with most of the, with most of what they've been able to learn. I've seen what they've been able to do with that. They've been able to keep a government afloat, but their pride has allowed them to go above and beyond the scope of governance. They don't really? yeah, they, they are looking at government like it's just something to do. It's not a it's something that we you know, it's not an obligation to them. It just feels like something that they feel like they can do on their own time. Like we can pick a time when we want to govern the people and really care about the people and really care. Even though this is countless a, hours and time thing for that. You know yeah. what 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 scripture comes to mind is seek ye first the kingdom of the most high and all things shall be added unto you. The riches will come if you submit and if you don't, I was just looking in the book of um, uh, I was just looking in the Proverbs, uh, book of Proverbs where we're saying that you know, a foolish man you know, he gathers his riches but they'll come to an end quickly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to 
sporadic hills of progression and progress, but you're going to come down if your spirit is not in the right place. It's mm. like, wow. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like, look, all I'm saying is, I'm to a point where people don't really have to believe the book. Like, it, it don't need you to really believe in the book because a lot of people don't follow what they believe anyway. My whole thing is, can, do you understand that it has worked itself into reality because it, it, it was a reality at one time? It was a reality because it was reality to people who wrote the book and it was a reality of the people who live with the people who wrote the book. And that's, that's the reality. And and I, I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like, you know, when people really kind of just sit down and just kind of give themselves some time to really think about the things that they want out of life or what they want to understand in life, they'll start to see things about themselves and about everything around them. Like, we're all so interconnected, but there is a purpose for everything. It's a reason why the Israelites found out this information before all the other nations did. Even though other nations, and even though the scriptures admitted or gave, you know, gave notice that other nations, and I did say nations, other nations, which means that there were already governments established, but these governments were not giving the, the, the praise and the glory to the one that gave them the, the, the power to even govern. You understand what I'm saying? These people were just taking the might for themselves. But the Israelites came to a point where they're like, hey, we, we get it. Like, we know who the source is. We, we know where the source is. And we have to honor that. We have to honor that uh, source. We have to respect it. We have to walk around with trees on our heads. We have to walk around with, you know, uh, 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 Peter shirts on and saying save the animals and stuff like that because we understand what it means to have animals on the planet. We, we understand now what the use of an animal is. We understand what the use of a plant is, you know. I just feel like people have gotten so used to fanaticizing elements. And it's like you don't you you shouldn't fanaticize the elements because now you don't have just the moon. You have the sun, the rain, the stars, the wind, the water, the fire, you have rocks, you have houses, you have wood and trees. You don't just have a tree. You have the sun, you have the moon, you have the rain, and you have the fire and all this other different stuff. You don't just have grass. You have the sun, you have the moon, you have the trees, you have the rain, you have the house, you have the rocks. You don't just have the sun. You have the moon. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we have all these other different things. And when Abraham figured it out, he went and he told his father, like, Basically, you're an idolater, and you shouldn't be worshiping these 12 teraphim because God is not in these idols. You've given all of your, your energy to something that can't talk back to you. 
the energy, the, the uh, sun can move, and its operations is to give light and other different radiation, you know, to the earth, but that's just what it does. Should I honor, should I worship, should I praise, should I idolatize, you know, idolatrize the president because he's the president? Like, no. He does what he's supposed to do. The queen does what she's supposed to do. A servant does what he's supposed to do. Should I idolize a servant too? Is he any better than the president? Is the president any better than the servant? Is a dog any better than a cat? Is a cat any better than a dog? They all have that specific essences and natures that they that they are designed to do. And we shouldn't all, you know, get in the habit of making it seem like, well, this is better than the other because we think so. It don't work like that. Because whether you think the sun is better than rain, it still rains. You can't live without it. You can't live without water even if you think that you can live with just the sun. Your body needs water because it was made with water. Your body needs air, even though you think the sun is way better than air, or you may think the sun is better than air. You still need it. We need all of these different things, and nothing is better than anything else. That is why the Most High told us not to worship these things. And it just kills me to see our people get on Facebook, yeah, because she guarded the sun. Yeah, I found it in the scriptures. Yeah, you did. But did you also miss the part where he said, I'll be a tempest on the sea? I'll try them with fire? <laughs> He'll be like a cool breeze? Why is he putting himself in all these different elements? And that's the part that I don't, I guess because our people haven't come to terms with really understanding the most high. Like, they literally just think that, Ra is, you know, the Egyptians say that Ra was God or the sun was Ra, so God must be the sun. And I'm like, but these people must just thought they could live without water and, and, and fire and earth and snow and hail and all this other different stuff. Because regardless of the fact that they, they worship the sun, it still rained. Rain was, I bet they didn't complain when the rain was coming down on them corns every uh, month when they needed to harvest that wheat. <laughs> they respected that rain then. They respected that snow when it when you know, when it got too hot. They respected the rain when it got too hot. They respected the wind when it got too hot. So it's like, so what? Because the Egyptians worshiped the sun. I don't give a damn. It don't matter. Because it is no different than is no different than me having Two right hands. One of them is going to do something that the other is not going to do. But they're equally important because they can do more while I have them both. That's just as simple as that. But nonetheless, um, y'all ain't got me worked up. Y'all got me started with nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is good, brother. This is good. Just, no, man, she knows how to pull this stuff out of me. Like, she'll say something, and, and then and I just, like, go into a, like, I go into a zone, and I'll be like, because I, I get to a point where it's kind of like, man, like, how is it that our people cannot see what's, like, right in front of them? I don't have to worship a flag if I don't want to. If you do, great. 
It ain't going to kill me because you worship a flag. But do know this. If I had to put my integrity of following the law of, uh, under you worshiping a flag, it's something wrong with you. Because I set that flag on fire and you won't have a flag. Then what? You will still have the law. Right. right. I'll make a fool out of you. Fool. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's what they don't get about the Bible, too. You can rip it. You can roll weed on it if you want to. You can wipe your butt with it. It doesn't matter. It's spiritual. It's, it's in life. It's in life. It is life. It is. You don't get that? It's not about a look. I'm going to hit you with something that I, I saw the other day. I was watching Pet Cemetery. I, I know y'all remember that movie, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> And you took uh, it back. Say it one more time. I said you took it back. Pet Cemetery, though. <laughs> yeah, Pet Cemetery. No, like, see, y'all. I'm a horror fanatic, and I love old movies because, like, the 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 new movies that they have out, it's aesthetics. It has nothing to do with moral value. They just recycled it, which they already said they were going to be doing anyway. But nonetheless, I'm watching Pet Cemetery, and it was a part where Judd, uh, uh, the daddy. Gage, the uh, I forgot what the lady Suzanne or whatever her name is, and the daughter Ellie, they all went to the pet cemetery. But of course, you know, behind the pet cemetery was the Indian burial ground. But while they were in the pet cemetery, John told the little girl, he said, Do you know what the tombstones are? And she, you know, he, he said, Do you know what a cemetery is? And she said, it's a place where you bury the dead. I think she said that. And he said, it's a place where the dead speaks. And she got scared. She was like, she 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 was like scared. You know, when you tell kids something and they don't, they're not familiar with, they get scared. So he said, no, not like talking. He said, their tombstones do the talking. Their tombstone is a testimony to who these people were, because you can't see them right in the ground, but we know who they are by the name that they have. So my whole thing is, when you look at the scriptures, even though the people are dead and gone, it is a testimony of these people's lives. You can question whether these people lived or not. It wouldn't matter. Shalom. Yes, sir. Is it also a testimony of status? Yes, mean. yes, and then oh, and then check this out. If 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 this book was any kind of uh, uh uh fraud, why would the people who are in power try to validate the power that they already have by a fictitious power? Who does that? Right. What's the point of doing that? I'm not going to say, oh, well, see. My by my my status comes from King David. Who would do that? What sound person who is already king and queen of the world is going to reference a book of fiction for their obviously earthly contempor- contemporary earthly power? I don't see the same person doing that. And you yo, I was watching a TV Jake sermon. This is gonna crack y'all up. And T.D. Jakes was talking about 
homosexuality, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, oh, and people are getting on me saying that I support, you know, homosexuality. He said, I don't support homosexuality. He said, what people have to understand is that we live in America, and America is a democracy, and they have their own set of laws that they enforce. Mm -hmm. Now, just because I'm living in America doesn't mean that I am for all these different laws that they enforce but I have to respect it because I'm living in a democracy. This is not the Bible. It's not a theocracy. I said, holy crap. Mm. He knows. Yeah. He and you knows. know, but you know why he knows, right? I'm pretty sure. I would say, well, see, this is what I thought, and I could be wrong. I thought that ministers and preachers go through theology school. And my thought was a theology school is different. It it, it doesn't actually, excuse me, it doesn't actually teach theocracy. It teaches the, you know, theory, the theories of the scripture, but not necessarily Theocracy. Is, do you think this is something that they're learning? In- well, you also have to remember that T.D. Jakes is a bishop, so he's gone through the holy orders. Oh. He's a bishop, which means, and I know everybody's seen the picture of T.D. Jakes and him being affiliated with the Pope. That is no mystery. And I'm not going to take it as a conspiracy theory because at this particular point, if anybody understands or has been paying attention, you have to go through the holy orders. You have to go through the holy orders. If it's in the dictionary. Go to liter. What's the word I posted in? Uh, what's that book? Uh, what's that? What last year? Liter liter literature. It's a Latin word. It actually actually says ad literature, and basically what it talked about is how uh, uh, servants, their children weren't allowed to be. They weren't allowed to be educated because if they went through uh, what they call learned studies, which they consider to be ecclesiastics or the holy orders, then they would find a way to subdue their masters. He didn't say it like that verbatim, but that is the logic. So they're very aware of where the power comes from. And the and uh, democracy, if that's what they're calling it, is a it's a front. It's a good front, but it's a front. Because they know very well that they are, they know that there can be a head and there can be a tail. There cannot be many heads. Because then who would actually lead the heads? If you have too many heads and they have too many differences of opinion, somebody has to be the mediator between those heads. But what if you had too many mediators? Somebody has to be the mediator between those two mediators. 
So they understand that there, there's a, there is a hierarchy here. The democracy is pretty much at the bottom of the totem pole. They can call it what they want to call it, just like they call it a democracy and they practice socialist and communistic principles. And it's written in the uh, what is that statement that they did during the bankrupt the uh, nineteen uh, nineteen thirty bankruptcy? It's in their statement. So it's not like anything, you know, uh, clandestine. They're not, they're not secretive about it. It's just that if you don't read, then you don't know. But, okay, boy, to know. The whole thing is T.D. Jakes understands principalities, and he had to understand it if he was going to become a bishop because if he didn't, then what is the purpose of you being a bishop? Bishops have to get trained in that type of learning. It's in the scriptures. It's, Paul has given them the rundown of what a bishopric contains. He was telling them that. And Paul, actually, as a matter of fact, I was reading where Paul and Peter ended up becoming uh, the bishop of Rome. They had the popes, but immediately after the first pope. Paul and Peter became the Bishop of Rome. I've got to find this book. I'm going to post it, let y'all see it. And But then, of course, they were martyred. But nonetheless, I think in, like, the 40s, like around, like, 42, 45 A.D., they were the, they were the first bishops of Rome. A lot of people question it because they're saying that people can't prove that Peter was there and they can't prove that Paul was there, even though Paul has written letters about him going to Spain and going to Italy and uh, dealing, you know, dealing with different places in Asia Minor and, you know, uh, uh, all these other different Greek provinces and stuff like that. He's been there. And Roman provinces, I'm sorry. And he's been there. And whoever will write a book and put in there and acknowledge that Paul and Peter were the first bishops of Rome, I, I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, tell them that they're liars because they obviously know something I don't. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, question it just kind of like, well, then how, you know? But then once you start studying the Lord, I guess you can see how. And there, and because these people are dead. They don't have a mouth to speak for themselves, but that's why they wrote their books because their books were the testimony, and then their books were the testimony for something greater than them. They were testifying that a man who had became the Messiah of his time had had basically showed them how to get from the clutches of these people and learn how to govern themselves. It's just a simple point, but nonetheless, yeah, going back to uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, yeah, he would understand the difference between theocracy and democracy because he's a bishop, and they have to understand that if they're going to sit in the role of a bishop. Because don't bishops make up the, uh, what is it, Vatican City? That's a government within themselves. And a bishop runs Vatican City. That's what the Pope is. It's a bishop. So, yeah, he knows the ins and outs of it. I think he should be a little bit more inclined to telling, you know, the church that, 
hey, I know who the real children of Israel are, but we shouldn't hate people. Now, if you want to do that, I think that will be very that would be very virtuous of you, but you don't do it because you're getting indoors. Right. So don't at the same time. While I understand that he respect principalities, I ain't gonna believe one minute that you're gonna risk your and you're gonna risk your endorsement by publicly mm-hmm. stating that you don't like LGBT people. You are very smart in your choice of words. So don't make me believe that it was all about your respect for principality. Because I think if you're really in the mindset of the people like us, you'll say screw the government. Right. (laughs) I mean, come on now. Let's be real. Every black person at this particular point in time has had it with this government. And we are at this point where we really want to see this thing crash and burn. If he wasn't making the money that he was, and if he wasn't a bishop, he will be saying the exact same thing because you sitting. I mean, he, I guess because now, and I'll put myself in his shoes because I understand it. Yeah, I do understand what he's saying. He's saying that, yeah, I can't tell this government how to run their government. It's their government. But I can, you know, I can maneuver myself through the government by, you know, Respecting the law, but I know I got to get out of it. But at the end of the day, TDJ ain't fooling nobody. You getting endorsed. Mm-hmm. And I believe he's amazing. Does that make him bad? No, that don't make him bad. But I figure if, you know, any other white person was becoming a top-notch preacher or judge or uh, or officer or a big-time corporation owner, you'd have to be amazing because that's what's running the world. So if he ain't amazing, it would surprise me. But nonetheless, yeah, I believe that, you know, he may get endorsed by a bunch of masons. So he know what to say and what not to say because maybe there's a lot of homosexual masons. So maybe he feel like, hey, I ain't going to say too much because my check might come up short next month. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to go on, you know, I'm trying to go see Paris three times next month. I can't afford it. <laughs> Open up a congregation over there too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah, you think that's smart. But, I mean, how long when you, you know, pretend to play smart before you be considered a sellout? Right. You know, how, you know, not sell out for the black community, but if you sell out, you know, the church, for you know some for some 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 money, you know you're gonna be frowned down the point. So I think he you know he he played his cards the way that he was trained to do it. Because I think if that if he if he cared anything about his position as somebody who was upholding the truth, I get there's the law, but then there's the truth too. And it's like okay, what? I, you know, I don't really, I don't, you know, I don't get it. And I'm not, you know, that's just not for me and all this other different stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I live here and I have to just, you know, keep going and doing what I need to do. But do I condone it? No, I don't. Which you openly, you didn't openly say it to the media. You said that in your church where you were safe. 
Do you understand what I'm saying, Auntie Anisha? See how I say he played his cards right? You didn't say that to the media. You said that you, you know, it's the way and this, that, and the other. You didn't say what you said in the church to the media. So, yeah, he played his cards right, but nonetheless, yeah, he ought to, I would figure he wouldn't know the difference between theocracy and democracy. He better. Cardinals are kicking behind <laughs> and telling you can't be a bishop no more. You misrepresent us, but nonetheless, man. Um, anybody got any other topics that they want to talk about or any comments? Shalom, brother. Yes, sir. I wonder, I wonder why, like, and then, you know, again, we don't know, like, and it, to be fair, like, obviously, but, like, why do some of our people, like, put themselves in those kind of spaces where it's, like, at some point when he's going through these orders, he had to, some at some point, come in contact with the fact that we are the chosen Israelite. Like, we are the chosen people. Okay, we don't denote ourselves as being better than anybody, but just the responsibility that it was bestowed on us. But at some point, he had to know that, okay, you can't, it's not like you can't turn your way from that beam and light staring in front of you. Like, you are the chosen of the, of, of the, you're the chosen, you're the child of the Most High. Like, you're an Israelite. Like, at your platform, you should go tell the people that, your people that. Okay. You know, but like, but why is, but why not do that though? Why, why put yourself in a space where you become a bishop for what reason though? For, to do what? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, oh no, I I understand exactly what you're saying. And here's what I'm about to say to you, bro. <laughs> I know you read in the, I think it was, it's got to be the Mark, or Matthew, or Luke, or all of them how the high priests were trying, and the high, the Pharisees and the high priests were trying to get at him. Mm-hmm. Because you got to remember that the high priests and the, the Pharisees, Pharisees and the Sadducees were the parliament at that time. Right. And they were put there, not necessarily by the people, they were put there by the Roman authorities. Just like Herod and his family were put, made the tetrarchs of their specific uh, mm-hmm. uh, parts of the provinces. Okay, well then, the high priests they were put there by the Roman authority, and so you have somebody who walking around who very well know, and I can't t- I can't say whether he didn't or did know that he uh, was. The, well, let me say it this way: in his testimony. He said that he knew that he was the son of David or the grandson of David, rather. That's how I'm going to say it because when they're saying the son, they just they do mean the grandson. And grandson doesn't mean like the direct grandson, but it can mean like patrilineal grandson, like descendant grandson, so to speak. But nonetheless, I, I know y'all know where I'm coming from with that. Okay, and you have somebody who's saying, well, now I'm going to claim the estate of David. I'm going to claim the estate of David. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bring my people together and we're going to live 
we're going to live underneath the law. We're going to literally live underneath the law. We're going to go back. We're going to have our feast days and honor the way they're supposed to honor it. We're going to run the temples the way we're supposed to run it. We're going to make sure everybody, you know, pay their offerings the way they're supposed to, so on and so forth. And mind you, Parliament is pretty much uh, running the people. I think they had a king. No, I think they had a high priest. But high priest would pretty much be like a king, but he wasn't the king. But nonetheless, when you have somebody who's walking around saying that they're Christ, and I believe just by reading what he had put into practice, once you deeply look at it and understand it, he knew how to dethrone these people. And they was afraid of that. You done, you done put these people in the uproar, and now they're going to try to, they're going to be, they're going to create an insurrection against parliament? Mm. But where does that sound familiar? Does anybody know where that sounds familiar? It happened again in history. Does anybody know where that happened? I believe it's V for Vendetta, King James. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. That's exactly where it happened. I'm going to tell you where it happened. It happened during the time that King Charles was getting ready to uh, assume, uh, assume the kingship. Check this out. After King James died, the state or uh, King Britain, so to speak, became uh, known as a protectorate state. Means uh, Jim Cromwell became the protector of the faith. He became the protector of Britain and I think Scotland and Ireland, I think. And they didn't have a, uh, they didn't have a king because uh, I think his sons weren't uh, ready to rule at the time. And then there was also some some stuff going on where his son had took. Uh, hostage at uh, in Spain before he ended up ruling, went going back to Britain to rule because he was about to get ready to marry a, a Catholic woman, if I can remember. But nonetheless, that's beside the point. The point is, Parliament was put into place. All right. Even before then, you still had the issue of the divine rights of king. Because even King James still dealt with that. He still dealt with the whole situation where they were trying to de- decide that, you know, uh, should the Church of England be, you know, holistically ruled by a king or should it be ruled by the, uh, by the bishop, uh, no, by the priest. They were known as the Presbyterians. And they wanted to have a body, they wanted the body to be ruled by the priest, but uh, King James was like, no, we need to have the the, the bishops uh, rule. Because if there is no bishop, there is no king. Without a bishop, there is no king. Hmm. Okay? He made very clear of that. And I feel, and he stood, He, I felt like there was an infiltration into that government by way of the Presbyterians who I believe that they were like the first uh, radical Protestants because he was a Protestant, Protestant against the Roman Catholic faith. But aside of that, moving forward, now you got his son, King Charles, about to come back and assume 
the uh, position, who wanted to assume, assume the position of king. So then there's where you have the Whig Party and the Tories. And the Tories, they were on his side. They were for uh, him ruling as the king. The Whigs was like, screw him. You know, we should have, we should be able to pick our king, or we should be able to pick our ruler, and Parliament should be able to pick the ruler, and this, that, and the other, and so on and so forth. So this is where the political party Whigs and Tories come from. The Tories were for King Charles. The Whigs were for uh, the protector state. They basically wanted a curator to rule over them and not him. Well, what would happen? But but then also what ended up happening after that? King Charles II was arrested, and he I think he eventually he died. I think he was either, he was he wasn't murdered, but he did he did die. But I can't remember exactly how he died. But he was arrested before then. I think it was a conspiracy against him. <laughs> so all I'm saying is this this. When these people really want to hang on to that little bit of power, though, is they will do any and everything to protect it. Because I honestly didn't see why they had any problem necessarily. Well, they said a really lot of they said a really lot of mean a lot of really mean things about King Charles and a lot of mean things about King James. Lots of mean things about this man. They didn't like how he ran his government. He was just too harsh. He was just this and the other. But then there were people who really gave him accolades for him being, like, really executing his kingship. Like, he really was the first person of, you know, that British empire to really get in there and bring this stuff together. But then when he died and the state went through this, protector transformation, everybody was just kind of like, well, we're used to it because we don't have to be oppressed. We didn't feel oppressed. Jim Cromwell, he, you know, he came in and he gave everybody what they want. Now we got King Charles coming in trying to come and get the kingdom, and he's going to try to, you know, assume the rights of kings, divine rights of kings. I don't care about that. Come on, man. Like, this is what they do. And King James had already done been saying that the Roman Catholics have always been in the business of killing kings. Hmm. They've always been in the business of killing kings. When they want to get rid of a king, they do it. So I, for the longest time after reading up on King James, I don't know everything that he did, and I don't have to like everything that he did, but what I do know is this. I do believe that they killed him. I do believe that they killed him. Right after sixteen eleven, after you challenged the the you challenged the theological view of the Roman Catholic Church by you specifically, even though there were many people who translated the scriptures, you specifically they had a problem with. He wrote this in his preface of the 1611 King James Bible, and he was telling people, these people hate me because I decided to change. I decided to translate. It wasn't like I was changing anything. I was only doing what y'all allowed everybody else to do. What makes me so different? What is it about me specifically that makes me a threat to you? Is it because I had voiced my opinion about you? 
early on and you didn't like it and then go and prove that you are known that you are ecclesiastical liars and I and I showed you and I wrote it in a book and now you hate me? Is it that? They hated this man. So all I'm saying is they this is the reason why T D Jakes, somebody like T D Jakes who's a bishop, who fraternizes with the Pope, who is a part of this system that they have, why would he tell somebody? Why would he tell black people that they're the Israelites, risking the chance that he might be talking to a Messiah, and he don't even know who it is, but he may be talking to one. Hmm. You don't know what that person, what that individual may do with the information he eventually gets because he may use it to overthrow their system. That is what all this has been about. That's what the COINTEL has been about. Hmm. They've been very. It didn't start with COINTEL. This has. This is all over. They've been very particular about how they disseminate information to people, especially. But now they got out that yeah, we are the Israelites. But now, you better believe this. They're keeping up with who. They're keeping up with where to. Uh where the Messiah may be or who the Messiah may be because they, they have to keep up with that whole Messiah factor because they just don't know when. Yeah. <laughs> may be snuck up from underneath them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the Christ kept telling them. He kept telling them like a thief in the night. You don't know the day, the hour, or the time, but I will be coming. Yeah. So yeah. them people <laughs> better believe they're doing their P's and Q's. So you had one every generation, is all I'm saying. TDJ mm-hmm. just so happened to be the ones who's enjoying his luxury. So he not mm-hmm. gonna risk that for the sake of nobody trying to get you know from no system because they may change the rules and they may get rid of the system of bishops. They may, may not to say that they would, but they may. That's all I'm saying. So no, he'd be a fool to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Him, Joyce Myers, Joe Olstein, Crooked Dollar Bill. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a fool. Crooked <laughs> Dollar Bill, he don't give a, he don't give a damn about telling nobody nothing. He just wants the money. Yeah, he proved that. I mean, he don't care how he get it. He don't care who get it to him. He just wants to fight it. <laughs> Ain't no shame in his. He's got it so comfortable with just being a crooked preacher. So that is what he's known for doing. Long and long. he won't see it is doing that, but cool. Go ahead, brother. Uh, you, you think uh, not only... Will he alert, you know, someone who has the potential to be a messiah, but he also could lose his life for giving away that information like that? Oh, yeah. I don't think, bro, brother. Now, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about it this way. When I see in the scriptures that the Pharisees, who at this particular point, why would you be threatened by somebody you, who wasn't in parliament? He wasn't a Pharisee, he wasn't a Sadducee, he wasn't a high priest, even though from what I've been able to see, there was some, he, he did go through some 
some some degrees or something like that. He did go through something. He got some knowledge somewhere to where he was just kind of like, I got it. I, I get it. I understand how to become one with the most high. And I know how to bring God people back together. Why would these people in Parliament be threatened by this one man? Like, that does not even, it, it wouldn't register somebody who don't get it. And I'm looking at it like, they, I mean, what do you have to lose? Well, number one, you may be revoking your priesthood. <laughs> That's number one. You, and, and, what the pre, and with your revocation of priesthood, goes your privileges. So all this, honestly, is just really about having control and who has it. T.D. Jakes, he's a nigga, but he ain't one of us niggas. See, he's a, he's a pet nigga. I'm just going to keep it real. He's a pet nigga. He's a pet nigga with a cloak. That's all he is. I hate to say it that way, and I'm not trying to, like, really be disrespectful, but then, like, I kind of get it because at the end of the day, they distinguish us. So I'm gonna make the distinguish. I'm gonna make the distinguishment too. He's a pet nigga, just like the rest of them. But I will say it this way: He understands that he got to he got to get in where he fit in. Mm-hmm. So he got to go along with the flow. But then, like, I guess it goes back to the question you asked: Why compromise? Uh, you know, why would you put? You know the integrity of the faith itself on the back burner for indulgences and privileges mm-hmm. that, you know, in the twinkling of an eye, because you don't really know who may come to dethrone you, you know, when that person comes and sit in a position of power and dethrone you and take away all that you have anyway, because you just, you know, you act as you act in the, as an apparatus for destruction of the faith and of the minds of the people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, you know, T.D. James, Creeful Dollar, Joe Osteen, and uh, Joyce Myers, like. Hey, you know why? But then I guess at this particular point, it don't really matter because you kind of see why, you know. So, but honestly, we'll get into we'll be this will be another end of discussion. I I just say it this way: we're at a point in time where everything is kind of like set. Under this government, that is. Everything is set under this government for the way things are, whether they be good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's at a po- it's, we're also at a point to where we do have the choice to stay in it or go for, go for self-government. And most of us have, choo- have chose to, you know, say, hey, we, we, don't, we don't want a part of it because, I mean, the plum is bad, the windows are broken, you know, the shames are falling off the house, you know, the graffiti on the walls, the plumbing's mm-hmm. bad, you know, it's moldy, uh, there's a stench, the house is falling <laughs> apart, you know. 
how how long do you wait for the 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 city to to uh consider your house condemned <laughs> that's a better way to say it like how long do you wait for the city to to basically consider your house to be condemned and then they just put an abate notice on it tear that bad boy down like how long do you wait for that to happen yeah, for real. You know, like, like, if you, like, you know, how long? That's all I'm just saying. <laughs> so, yeah, bro, brother and, and sisters, like, it's already kind of just been set. We just know that now we have to move forward and then set something else up. That's just all. Yeah. It's really all to it, you know? But, uh, I just want to give everybody some uh, more time to put, you know, anything on the record if they if they so choose to do so. I know I must have talked my head off, and I do apologize, but um, I get passionate about it when I talk. So y'all, please forgive no me. But, no need to, brother. It's good, brother. It was good. It's good. <laughs> I be going, <laughs> but nonetheless, y'all, I just open up the floor for any more uh, topics. I don't know if any other people are still on, but the floor is. Open for anybody. Salama, I just yes, got to uh, just want to piggyback off. You said you started out where you saying you by pet cemetery. You know, it's funny you you say that because uh, then you call TD Jason pet. So I mean, they do have a cemetery form. You know, it just <laughs> oh yeah. You know the pets, the pets had a kind of cuter cemetery than the natives. And if you look <clears> at that, you know, you know, say that again. The pets had a cuter cemetery than the natives, Ooh. you know. So, is in, in reality, they do. They bury them better than they bury, you know, us. But, uh, mm. you know, it was all symbolic. So that's why I said that was that was great. That was very interesting. That's very in- interesting when you put that. I, I didn't think really didn't think much of it, you know. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They do. But um I mean the way the scriptures had, you know, spoke on the things, you know, on this place, you know, we were already in a open grave. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't get a proper burial. Um and at this particular point, I'm wondering if the grave stayed open because the the dirt on it was meant for somebody else. Hmm. You know, like you tried to bury us, but you didn't give us a proper burial, you know. And I assume that that was, you know, that was set up that way because Maybe they were the ones that were supposed to fill those graves. But then again, you also have to understand is this. Nobody has to die, and not everybody is going to live. But there's a balance between the two. You can choose to live or die, but choose life so that you may live. Mm-hmm. That's wow. just the way it is. Wow. wow. That's, uh, that was what the oracle told Neo. Yeah. Yeah, choose life so that you may live. So I look at it like this. Hold on for a minute. (laughs) But I look at it like this. And 
we we got ourselves in a situation where we're in a grave and we haven't had a proper burial. And as I stated before, you know, the the grave was open because we can either choose to we can choose to stay dead or we can rise out of these graves and we can we can actually live. You know, these people, you know, we have the choice. The choice is there for us. And the choice is not just for us. The choice is for anybody who who want to live according to the laws of the most high. And that's the way it, it that's the way it showed itself. You know, it started out as a, a family thing, but then you also have to remember that there was a people before the flood. There was a there were there was a generation before the flood. There was a generation before Lamech and Methuselah and Jared and Mahalia, Mahalia, whatever her name is, and and, and Selah and Tubal Cain and all these other different people. There were governments, there were factions, there were there were all these different things. And they had to eventually come to a point to where if they didn't want to live by the law, they had to all die. But I think because the most high spared them, spared the life because he saw where somebody okay. really got it. They really you know, they wanted to live. Say no more. You already know how you just got out here? Is that Alex? Yeah. All right. Tomorrow morning, I got you. That's all right, brother Alex. That's you, brother Alex. Shalom, shalom. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, guys. Sorry. Oh, no, you good, bro. We didn't even know you was on. You should. <laughs> That's good that you were on. Um, let me ask you a question. What, what do you think about the conversation, brother, that we were having? Honestly, I didn't really hear y'all on the last conversation that you guys uh, had. What, what, what were you guys talking about? I, I, I feel better, brother, because I kind of jumped all over. No problem. Go ahead, brother. Oh, I thought somebody was about to say something. Okay. No, the last thing we were talking about was America being an open grave. And we having us having an improper burial, but it was designed that way so we can choose to, we can either choose to stay dead or come out of the graves and live. And then I asked, you know, were those graves not filled with dirt because those graves were were those graves meant for someone else? Or was it wait or or was the graves uh prepared so that if we choose to die then we'd have the room. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But that was just kind of like what, what I was just uh, saying. And um, uh, bro, uh, Eric, he made mention that I spoke about Pet Cemetery and uh, T.D. Jakes being a pet. Because we were all over the place with it, but that's basically what it came down to. You know, um, I just kind of like wanted to hear what your thoughts was on that. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, I was listening to you guys and everything. Like, I'm still trying to grasp the question that you was talking about. You said uh, the America, uh, you said it's a grave. Like, you you were saying uh, a 
grave. I didn't really understand what you was really saying. I was listening. I'm online, but I'm still at work right now. So I, still I got you, brother. I'm also multitasking, too. No, no, that's okay. I want to explain it to you. I'm going to make it very, I'm going to make it simple. But I started out saying it this way. In, I think, the book of Revelations, it mentions that the the children uh, uh, weren't given a proper burial by the people who subdued them. It doesn't say that verbatimly, but it does say that they weren't given a proper burial. And it was talking about the Israelites being captured because you also have to remember that they were subdued during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And Ezekiel, I think it was Ezekiel or Isaiah who talked about the dry, the dry, the valley of dry bones. And he was asking the most high, could these bones live? Okay? He was speaking about them being spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. We are in a graveyard. America is a graveyard. It is the place of our death because we had been sentenced to a capital punishment of 400 years. No civil rights, no privileges. We got privilege, We got rights in the form of privileges, but they weren't privileges per se. They were like, they weren't rights of our own. They were they were privileges given to us by the people who own us. So moving forward, you have us in a grave that has not been prepared properly. And what I mean is these people who, quote, unquote, buried us or gave us the death penalty, they only had a limited amount of understanding on how to deal with the dead and the law. So they were only able to deal with us in a way that they knew how and give us a burial that they knew how. But when I said that we were in an open grave and that they didn't, what I mean is they didn't bury us. They didn't put the dirt on us. And the Most High didn't allow them to bury us. And I asked, why didn't he allow them to bury us? Because he knew that there was going to be a time where he, and he said this, I'm going to bring forth a remnant of my people, and I will put my laws into their hearts, and they shall, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God said that in the book, and the laws of nature expressed that in setting up a state, having the body of laws, and when the body of laws of the state don't work, then natural law has to take the place of the laws of the state. That's a maximum law. He knew that we were eventually going to go back to executing those laws. So he left the grave on covered. They didn't give us a proper burial. That's what I mean. And so while we can, some of us, not all of us, will come out of those graves. While some of us, the ones that do come out of those graves, we will be able to use those graves for something else or for someone else. That's what I'm saying. 
I hope I didn't lose you because I know it was a lot of, it was very metaphoric, but I wanted you to understand where I was coming from. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying, brother? Yes, I get what you, you're talking about, and I like the fact that you broke it down like that. Because at first I was kind of lost because I was trying to get what you were saying, but I was still, like, cutting, uh, listening to my clients, but also listening to you. But, yes, I like the fact you broke it down like that. No problem, um, and cool, because multitasking is one hell of a thing. But at the end of the day, I just wanted you to, I just wanted you to understand where we were. But nonetheless, you know, this is this is gonna go back to what I initially said. We uh, are dead. And these people have seen what death looks like, and they're scared because they know that because law is universal, at least they come to that uh, come to that understanding, but not wanting to accept it. They are really running from it. They're creating all these different idolatries, uh, putting in these different philosophies about resurrection, so they can have hope <laughs> about. <laughs> life in the life that they already have. And that's just not, that's not going to change the way things are going to be. You are going to go into captivity. You are going to die just like we died. You are going to have your privileges stripped from you, just like we had our privileges stripped from us. That is the way it's got to be because that is the way the contract is set up. The contract that you became uh, 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 what they call an assigned party to. You were assigned the contract, which means that you know very well what is going to happen. So you're trying to run away from it, and you can't. <laughs> so since you put yourself in the contract, you got to take on the, you had to take on the nature of the contract just like we did. So you coming out of the, you coming out of that privilege. Whether it be by whether it be by shackles or death, you will be coming out of those privileges. That's just the way it is. Who will be the one to to do it? No one knows. But I will pray to God that I live to see it. <laughs> Nothing will bring me joy than to see somebody sign that paper that says revocation of privilege, revocation of privilege, revocation of privilege. Oh man, that's like. That's like in the movie in the Matrix, how the numbers just kept falling down. <laughs> no, like I'm just saying, like man, that's what it's gonna be like. <laughs> they brought it on themselves. And they wanted to interfere and they wanted to learn the demonstrations and all this stuff. That this is what comes with it. And when you wanted to put yourself in a position of power, you had to be responsible, just like. The Christ told them, you want to take, you think you can handle the baptism that I've been baptized with? Mm-hmm. If you think you can handle that, you must also understand that just as well as you can sit in my seat, you have to be a servant. Mm-hmm. You have to be a servant. And they didn't want to serve. They wanted to, even though they, their nature is to serve, <laughs> that is their nature. And it is still in nature. That's why they're called public servants. But we treat them like they are still our master. 
Be treated like they're still our master. Right. And it's like at some point we just have to come back into seeing things the way that they really are. That is, that's, I mean, I don't know. I don't think like we'll fully get the potential of it until we're, till we're at a point to when we're actually doing those things. But we are being prepared. That's why Minister Priest has been sitting down diligently with us trying to maneuver us in a way where we can understand it. Right. You know, because right. I think a lot of, you know, most people who who aren't with us or who are with any <clears throat> other organization may, you know, just say, I want the government to come down. I want them to just be taken out of power. Cool. Okay. But then who gonna, who's going to govern? Right. Who who's going to who's going to govern? Because you can't. I mean, at this particular point, with the people, there's a mental illness in America, and it's called idolatry. And with the mental illness being here, who's going to who's going to be the physician? Right. These people need to be healed, like literally. So you can't right. remove one doctor without putting in another one to make sure that the people don't go criminally insane. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, yeah, it's a whole lot that we're dealing with. But I I honestly believe that, I believe that we're ready to some extent. We're ready to to do what we were called to do because I believe we're called. I honestly believe that we all called. That doesn't make us anything really special, but we're called. And Priest has just been trying to just get us to understand it. But we have to really understand it. Because I, I don't see anybody like y'all every day. <laughs> I don't see an EK. I don't see, I don't meet an Artemisia. I don't meet an uh, Arian Art Crystal every single day. Or uh, Alex or Ima uh, Yaru. Uh, There's a very few Ima Yaru out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm saying. I don't meet a whole lot of you guys out there, and honest, in all honesty, you know, just like at the at the time that these scriptures were being lived out before they were written, it wasn't a whole lot of people like David, and it wasn't a whole lot of people like Solomon. There were kings, and there were queens, and there were priests, and there were duchies and duchesses, but there weren't a whole lot of people like. David and Abraham and Moses and and uh, Solomon and Jeroboam and so on and so forth because these people charge in government was completely different and they didn't do they didn't govern based on the principles of privilege they govern based on the privilege of charge and obligation. Right. So it's two totally different motivations for governing, and they just had their charge set on a higher power. That's just it. But I don't want to dra- drag it out. I do want to kind of give everybody, I mean, because it's like 21 minutes after 10, and I don't want to keep on keep us here all that long. But, again, I'm going to open up the floor to anybody who wants to give any sound uh, uh uh, thoughts, so to speak. I yield. 
echelon. It's Brother EK. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think at this point, brother, I feel like you know, as it happens all the time in Scripture. I mean, you know, the very few people that wake up and and say, you know what, today is the day I'm gonna take responsibility. And they give notice to the government that they're under, and then that government eventually starts to serve them, serves their interests. I mean, you see it happen all the time, you know? And so it's like it's no different in our times. And it's like, you know, simplicity is the greatest mystery known to man. So it's like this is, everything around us is not difficult to do, but it's just because of the distractions that this, quote-unquote government has spent a lot of time, well, I would say the corporations that exist within this government have spent a lot of time to distract us, particularly us, you know, as the brothers, you know, because we're, you know, we have to be the head, we have to be the seers, basically, we have to see these things, but we've been distracted for a lot of years, and so the things that were simple became complex. You know, we just sort of got away from it. And so, you know, what happens is like, you know, you know, nature's gonna call forth people to, you know, to do a healing work, you know, to, 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 to heal this idolatry. And that's really what our charge is, to heal this idolatry. Because when our forefathers, you know, ruling, I mean, yeah, there was instances of idolatry, but it wasn't like that pervasive. You know, it was still curable when you catch it, but like this idolatry today is like something in the bloodstream, you know, it's like, it's totally deep and it's like, you know, it's a lot of work to kind of, you know, clean it out. So it's like the work that we're in the curriculum and the, and the um, information that we're learning in the nation, it's like, it's like, you don't hear this anyway. You don't, like you said, you don't, there's no duplicates or variations of who we are in the nation. Out in the in in the everyday world, when we go and out and interacting with people, like you don't see it, you just don't see the level of just composure, you know, like sanity. You don't you don't see it, and it's like I know for me personally, when I come online and 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 hear all you guys speak, it's like man, it's like a healing because it's like you deal with so much chaos in the world, but then you come here and say yes, like we deal with people that that understand it. And it gives you that much more empowerment to say, you know what, I'm going to keep looking forward, I'm going to keep looking forward, I'm going to keep looking forward, you know, because that's just something that's just amazing, man. You know, and, and, you know, I just think it's 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 not really going to take, it's not going to be that difficult for us because I just think, like, as long as our hearts are in the right place, you know, and we're just really keeping a very close watch on our ego, and understanding, like, you know, that ego wants to attach to idolatry so bad. It wants to attach to things so bad. But our soul knows better, and our soul is playing the long game. And that long game is to suffer now in the short term and have that long-term reward. Because if we work our work now, the Most High is going to give us our reward in his time. So it's like we may not see immediately, like, the immediate change or the immediate effects, but... It is happening, like the seed is definitely sprouting, you know, and so it's gonna be very it's gonna be a good picture, you know, it's gonna get bad before it gets 
good again, you know. So, but I, I think it's gonna a lot of it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna transform better than we think and sooner than we think, actually. So, I yield on that. Yes, sir. All oh, praises, I believe. I, I I agree, brother. And you and we had to and we had to we had to all believe it too. Um because that is the only way we're going to be able to make it through this whole situation that we're in. But nonetheless, um is there anyone else who 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 wants to say any other thing? Else? Sorry. Okay. All right. Well, we can adjourn uh, for this evening. Uh, remember, this is week eight. We will be out for three weeks, and we'll come back on November 21st, I believe. And uh, I shall see you guys then. It is 27 minutes after 10. We well, can Before adjourn. you go, can I? Can, can, oh, you go, can, can I ask a question? Will we be meeting on fellowship during the break? Um, we can. Um, I, I'll say it this way, because I know that everybody has things to do. Y'all know me. I, it could be wind, it could be rain, sleet, snow, hell, fire. I come on fellowship. <laughs> Um, what I'll, what I'll do is I will do the fellowships, but if you can't make it, that's fine. You know, nobody's penalized for not coming, but at the end of the day, this is for you guys. Um, fellowships is for when you guys need someone to vent to, and we talk about the day, we, we talk about the daily things that are going on in life and we have no one else to talk to the way that we talk to each other. We have our fellowship. That is what this is for. This is our therapy, you know. So the line will be open. I'll say it that way. The line will be open. And if you can't make it, cool. If you could make it, great. So that's the way I'll put it, brother. Um, No problem. So we can adjourn for the rest of this evening. Uh, I apologize for keeping us so late. But and I really enjoyed our conversation and forgive me for, for going in, but I I catch myself sometimes. But nonetheless, we can adjourn, brothers and sisters. I'll I'll see you guys um next week if possible. Shalom. 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 Shalom.